so we can continue on that conversation and then expand on other things as well. So I just titled this as everything wrong with the system. <laughs> so a venting session for those who want to vent number of things going on, number of things happening. So um, for those who were not aware earlier, we were talking about Joe Biden deciding to back the GOP in reference to the DC crime code. And the DC city councilors had decided that they were going to loosen restrictions on some of the, some of the penalties. And one of them was mandatory sentencing and making sure that more people can actually have a jury trial, which I think is something that is necessary. And for those who are not aware, most people that are arrested actually do not go to trial. They'll have a case. Most of the time they're convicted or they're told to settle for a lesser plea. That's a big one too. Like there are lawyers that exist just as plea negotiators. Like that's all they do is just try to get people to plea for a lesser charge. So in those cases, it doesn't even go to trial. So there's that going on. So there are Democrats that are really upset with Joe Biden right now because of that. And there are also people that are upset, um, you know, with the whole political situation that we have in this country right now, like people are not too happy about the idea of Joe Biden running again. Although I hate to say I told them so, but I told them so. And so here we are. Uh, Shama Sawant has also just launched Worker Strike Back, which actually was launched this Saturday. And so I'm really excited about that. I'll be attending the launch for Boston this Saturday. So there's a lot going on right now and people have had a lot to say. <laughs> so I decided to come back because um, the other call in was pretty short because I had to go to that meeting, but I am back now. So let's go ahead and bring in Eric. Eric, you are here. What is up? Go ahead and vent, Eric. <laughs> can you hear me okay? I can hear you. All right. Yeah, well, the first, uh, we need other callers, so people uh, jump in the queue. Oh, there we go. We got some. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? What I always say? <laughs> you know, look at the money. It's always, you know, down to, and Joe Biden is a servant of the billionaires. So I guess I, I get a little bit frustrated when when it's kind of framed in terms of you know why is he doing this you know why is the squad so weak you know why why don't democrats you know do what they're supposed to and it's you know it's because they're all it's all it's all about interest there's the interest of that you know that top one point one percent billionaires and there's the interest of the rest of us and and they're not working in our interests so then you go to you know well why aren't they working in our interests because they're paid off corrupt warmongering monsters, <laughs> our, uh, you know, our Congress. So then if we, you know, if we got to the point where we're saying, okay, it's because they're, they're, um, you know, they're corrupt and they're paid off, then what do we do about it? And then, you know, I say you got to cut, cut the puppet strings, which is the money, you know, from that billionaire class to the representatives. And then you got to get serious about how we cut, you know, how we deal with, with those things, you know, and then it gets into those, 
things are campaign financing and regulating the money and all those things that, you know, are kind of, I don't know, what do you call it? Kind of boring, kind of systemic things that people don't seem to want to talk about. But I, I feel like that's what we have to be talking about if we're really going to fix this thing. Yeah, I think that the problem is, I think that like, I wish more people would like focus on the system as a whole and not just focus on one particular person that's running. Like, for example, there's this, there is this energy right now to try to get Jimmy Dore to run. I don't know if you guys have seen this on Twitter, but there's been this push to try to get him to run. And I just kind of feel like, you know, I, I think obviously Jimmy and I align on most of the issues, but I even see something like that as, again, like he's going up against that system. The same thing I said in reference to Marianne Williamson. And then there's, there's other things that go along with this as well. Was like, there's the money situation. There's the fact that we have like these corrupt corporate parties. And I think what people just don't seem to understand is that at the end of the day, if you don't change the system, we're going to keep running into the same problems. And I think that's the thing that really bothers me. And so I just continue to see people cycle after a cycle, after election cycle, after election cycle, just become frustrated and disappointed and more so with the politicians. And I think people seem to believe that if they just change the person, then that will solve the problem. And that's not going to solve the problem because the system itself is corrupt. Well, it's kind of like that's the only option that they're given. And so I feel like the challenge, you know, from our go to left movement is to, is to give them another option. And I think workers strike back is, is a good move in that direction. I guess I, I do, I am concerned that, that they don't really seem to have a, a huge focus on the money on, you know, on, on big money in, in politics and government. And so I'm, I'm hoping that maybe if we're all collaborating, we can get more from them on that. But I feel like we need a movement. You know, we need to inspire. I, I feel like this whole corruption angle and, and this whole saying, you know, they're corrupt. We, you know, it's the money. It's the big money. It's the billionaires versus us. And we need to fix that. And we need to take it head on. I feel like that's a winning message. I feel like people get that. And, and no one's like servicing that message. So I, I feel like as a left movement, we need to figure out how to have an organized center of, or something group, um, that, that pushes on that, that says, you know, this is, this is our central animating message in our, our, our mission and come join us. And I think we're going to have to make it ourselves because no one's, no one's really making that for us. I feel like. Well, we did have we did have that. I mean that that was Bernie Sanders' message for both election right. cycles. So we did but have. Now it that. needs to be a movement, not a person, right? Well, it was a movement, though. It was a political movement. He was able to garner support from hundreds and thousands of people. That's the thing. But it was so all dependent did. on him, yeah. Exactly. That's that's the problem, and that's my fear about having someone who's in politics do it because. You know, if they don't win, then you fall right back into this trap again of, okay, now we're back to square one. And all those people just, you know, some of them disappeared, some of them stayed. But, you know, all in all, it fell apart, like after Bernie lost. So I think that's the unfortunate part is that we had somebody 
who that was like their sole message was talking about the corruption and the greed and the, and he talked about the billionaires often, but the moment he, <laughs> yeah, like the moment his campaign died, that energy died with it. And I feel like people just all of a sudden just kind of forgot about that message. And so I think the thing is, is that I think someone like Shama Sawan, I feel like the worker strike back, I think, like you said, I think it's heading in the right direction. I do want people to understand though, because I think, there is some confusion about this. Worker Strike Back is not a political party. And so I think that some people are referring to it in that sense, and it's not. And this is why I brought Shama on to talk about it. This is a organization to organize workers and to help workers get wins. It's not a political party. At some day in the future, like maybe they they may want to run candidates, but Shama Sawant said that is not their focus at this point in time. So I do want people to understand this is a movement for the workers, not a movement to get someone elected. And then the other thing I'd just like to say is that we 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 need to not always be negative too. Like like yes, the Bernie movement was crushing and it fell apart and whatnot, but it was a movement. You know that that was a big deal. That was a big thing, and I think we need to be viewing that as saying you know there's this like this roiling discontent out there or waiting to be harnessed. And that's the challenge is, is to harness that. But it, I, I think it's sitting there waiting for us. It could be huge. I think so too. Eric, I'll go ahead and make you a speaker and bring in a uh, neoliberal. Cool. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in neoliberal neoliberal. Everything that's wrong with the system. <laughs> Howdy. Yes, that is me. I'm just, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually neoliberal tears. Um, so, uh, that's my tears is my last name. Um, you might have seen me on the internet. Um, been a huge longtime stan of your work. Um, so thank you for bringing a lot of neoliberal tears to all of us. Um, we need, <laughs> we need as much as we can. Um, you know, and Sabi, so I am grateful to you for being able to give a voice to the the kind of like for for uh, the, the disaffected Bernie voters, for lack of a better term, because I think there are a lot of us. There are a lot of people I know who have donated money they did not have because they assumed that when push came to shove, Bernie wouldn't. They did. It's not that they hoped he would start a revolution, but that they hoped he would at least fight on things like lowering the Medicare age, you know, or, you know, remember that when that was a thing. And it feels like I posted an, an article um, from Kaiser Health News because Bernie just gave them a recent interview. And the title is We Ain't Gonna Get It, like the song. Yeah. And I, I, if you've seen it, oh, my God, I'd love to know what you thought, because it just drove me crazy. Yeah. He was basically being honest for like it was the first time I think he was being more forthcoming than his usual speeches because he was saying, you know, something like, you know, of course, I would want to see Medicare for all that the way I've been like saying in my rallies that you've been paying to go to attend. But like, are we going to get it? No, absolutely not. And it's like, so that's who he really was this entire time. I, I feel like it's not that we've changed. We have not changed. We are still the same people who want the same things. Bernie just lied. I mean, I, I, I have to say that, you know, and I'm from Israel originally. I extreme, I respect his position on, you know, and what he, what he's given to the discourse and changing the Overton window and being a Jew who supports Palestine. All of that has been extremely meaningful to me, but there's no going around the fact that he was lying by saying, 
I'm gonna use the power that I have in the Senate to the extent I must. And I guess I, I also have been having a negative reaction to Marianne Williamson. And, and I'm, I'm trying to, to figure out why that is, because it's not that I don't support someone running in either of the two parties and weaponizing the party in that way. Like, for example, if Kshama Sawant said, guys, uh, sorry, if she was, let's say she was eligible to run, but someone like her would have said, I'm running in the Democratic Party to primary Joe Biden, Pramila Jayapal, whoever, but I'm just using the party as a vehicle, as a Trojan horse, because I don't give a fuck about a Democrat or a Republican. They're all, they're all sellouts. You could have, you could have, I could have seen Marianne making that kind of a campaign, but she's not. And uh, she is, and also as someone who is friends with Palestinians, I have a real issue with her. And thank you so much for the, amazing interview you did with her and asked and asked her about that question which she basically says is i want um i want jews to have more rights than palestinians because tomorrow like someone from brooklyn or massachusetts or wherever can move to israel tomorrow and get money to do it get a job but rashida's family she can never go back her children can never go back it's ethnic discrimination like it's religious supremacy and that's what she supports. If she wants to do a two-state solution in New York, like, you know, like divide, divide New York into like the Jews and the not Jews and have apartheid there, because that's what it's like in Israel. I grew up there and it's offensive to me. Like that there are, there are actual Israeli, I'm sorry, guys, I know I'm rambling, but there are actual Israeli activists like Miko Peled who are very brave in calling out saying we need a one-state solution with equal rights for everyone. Like how is that? It's not that. It's not that hard to really understand that, right? So that's why I have an issue with Marianne. There's nothing in, in that debate stage that she would say that would inspire me, surprise me, change the Overton window. I've listened to her a lot. I've listened to too much at this point. And I'm a gay man who loves The View. So if I'm not Marianne's, um, you know, audience, I don't know what she thinks she's doing. And also her takes on Ukraine. I don't know, Tabby. What do you think? Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, the first time I interviewed Marianne was like two years ago. That discussion was about reparations. And we talked about also the education system, too. We ended up talking about public education as a part of that conversation as well. The second time I interviewed her, it was about healthcare and the expensive cost of healthcare in this country compared to other countries and women's health, how women were actually choosing not to get important exams. Um, that we're supposed to get. And a lot of it was, it went back to health, health insurance. Right. So I feel like there's, there's some issues where she's actually really good on. And then there's issues where she's not good on, but it's to the point where it makes me cringe. And I can tell you that I do know that a number of people have spoken to her about this issue with Israel and Palestine, uh, the same way Nick and I have, and it don't seem like she willing to budge on this one. I'm just letting you know from the feedback that I've heard from other people that have talked to her. And it's very problematic for me. And look, I'm not Jewish or Palestinian, but I can still see the issue here. And I think for me, it's just like when you mentioned like Rashida Tlaib, like her family can't go back there. There was a professor I worked with at MIT, similar situation where she could never go back. and. I think that when you say, 
I'm for a two-state solution. Like to me, in, in my mind, it makes me feel like, but do you really know what that is saying? Because you're still giving more right to one group over the other. It's not like it's going to be equal. That's the problem. And there are a couple of things I can't budge on. I can't budge on when it comes to political issues. And that's one of them. Like you have to be solid when it comes to foreign policy. So that was one issue. Also, the other one with Russia and Ukraine, you know, again, like if, if you're telling me that we need to just continue to give money to Ukraine and you're not out there calling for some type of peace to calling for an end to this war, well, that's the same thing Joe Biden's saying. So why should people vote for you over Joe Biden if you guys are pretty much neck and neck when it comes to foreign policy? And then there's the the, the capitalism you know, issue for me, like I, for one, do not believe that you can reform capitalism. We've tried this multiple times in society. I feel like you need to call capitalism out for what it is and not say that we need to put like guardrails on capitalism and make it better for everybody. Even when you put guardrails on capitalism, it's not going to be better for everybody. People are still going to be exploited. And I even point to some of these countries like these are these are some of the things I would have said to Marianne if I had more time. But I point to other these countries that are the social dim countries where people always want to point out uh, Denmark and Germany. And I lived in Germany. And even when it comes to those countries, what I try to get people to understand is, yes, they do have benefits that we don't have here in the United States. But that doesn't mean that people still aren't being exploited. And oftentimes when it comes to those countries, the people being exploited are people in the global south. And this is something that we talked about like recently on my show, it's like you may not see the exploitation happening to people in Germany, but if you go to the global south, you can see that those people are being exploited and they're connected to the industries that are in Germany. So even for me, this is why I still say even social democracy does not go far enough. So there's a lot of things that need to fundamentally change to make the system better. We can implement reforms, but if you don't change the system, the reforms are not really going to help as much as people think. And I think that's a big, big part of the problem for me. You know, Marianne, if you're running against President Biden, I want you to call Joe Biden out by name. I want you to call Joe Biden out on his record, especially his criminal justice record, especially what he's doing right now with intervening with the bill that the DC city councilors unanimously agreed on and him choosing to back the GOP response to that legislation. Like Joe Biden has a record that you can really, really attack, but to just to just say people should be able to buy a home, young people should be able to make a living wage, people should be able, we all know this stuff. On that question is what are you going to do about it? Yeah, that was, sorry, I was laughing because I watched her announcement today uh, which was so like it was just like platitude central. It was like every like, like you said, everyone needs a home. Oh, thank you. I had no idea. You know, me making you know, um, like it's it's it's. I don't know what what. Uh oh. I think you cut out for a second. Oh, I think there you go. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Also, in the Jordan interview, I, w I think even Jordan was surprised because like he was like saying something to her about like, oh, did you see this reporting about Biden, uh, sorry, Biden privatizing Medicare? 
and you know medicare advantage and all of that that awfulness and she was like she didn't believe it she was like oh i didn't see that reporting i don't know about that can you send it to me maybe like she's not even and speech she didn't even mention joe biden's name she didn't even say it was all just like platitudes about you know how to frame things in your mind and i i don't know who the audience for that is um and and i just want to say like to all the marianne critics out there like there's there's been a lot of like you know saying oh like you know if you criticize marianne you're a party pooper grow up and all of that shit and i just want to say the people who criticize marianne are doing politics they're saying i don't like her position on the on this on the, these and these issues that matter to me she can come to me or peace out you know that's how politics you're supposed to sort of politicians are supposed to be amenable to pressure and it's funny to me that Marianne all of the good people in the world right like Katie Halper who's you know who was fired from the hill for reporting about Palestine and Marianne said nothing about that but scrap that for a second like all of these people Brie you Sabi you're a good people in her corner who I'm sure like have brought up to her that these are like you know that her takes on Afghanistan Ukraine like it's been a problem it's been a red flag for a while and they've sat down and you know tried to sort of keep an open mind with her but she's not willing to change and it's funny like even Hillary Clinton like i remember she was so against gay rights for so long like she was <laughs> you know she was i you know proponent of doma the defensive marriage act which made gay marriage illegal and i remember even after it was 3 years after obama came in support of gay marriage like you know she waited until 2015 and she was like yeah you know i guess the country has changed so i'm changed yep. and you know and it's like you could tell she didn't want to go <laughs> go with it but it was like guess what the politics so moved hillary on that issue and i feel like marianne isn't willing to be a politician saying look at all of these experts on israel palestine that i can learn from and like miko pellet katie bri sabi nick uh all of you guys and she and she's saying no so i think to me that's a warning that she's not a, the kind of leader we're looking for but i would love to see someone to her left i would love to see more people to the to the left run you know um we need more we need representation yeah it's really interesting i mean there was uh, a mention from rokana that if joe biden does not run so he should announce in april by the way if he does not run then bernie sanders will be running and then you'll have marianne versus bernie sanders now don't get me wrong they will definitely throw in some centrists in there they'll find a way to get gavin newsom to run even though he said he wouldn't but now he's like kind of dipping his toe in the idea of it again they'll try to get some other centrists to run so that they won't have either one of them uh be president but it's just the the whole thing to me I don't like the fact that you have people who consider themselves to be leftist, progressive, socialist, whatever, how they've just been moving further to the right just so that they can keep their seat and they can get along with people in the Democratic Party. That is a big turnoff to me. And that's not what we need at this this moment. <laughs> that's not what we need. Oh. Eric, you want to chime in? I think um one of the um with the Mary Ann thing one of the things that um 
um, that Caitlin Johnstone talks has written about is that systemically what they do is is they not only infiltrate and control the two major parties, but then systemically what happens is they create pseudo more left parties and and groups and whatnot, and even pseudo more right parties. And it's 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 part of the game. Like these are the things that are encouraged. It's all about interest. It's all about whose interest things are working on and that are pushed, and what is discouraged. And so someone like a Marion Williamson or Bernie, for that matter, is it's it's a fake. It's 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 a fake candidate or party or group on the left. And so um, and so it it gathers up the lefty energy and it safely you know puts it over here without doing any real challenge. And so yeah, I, I think, you know, these, Marianne and Bernie at this point should really just be kind of dismissed out of hand as, you know, they're, they're really not acting in good faith. They're really just about sucking off the real lefty energy. And you can tell because, you know, they, they're part of the Democratic Party and they're not calling Democrats corrupt. It's a, it's a pretty easy litmus test, right? Are you calling out Democrats as corrupt or aren't you? <laughs> That's right. Well said. Uh, go ahead, Roger, and then I'm going to bring in uh, Edu. But go ahead, Roger. I first wanted to start off by saying, my name is Jim Clyburn, and I approve this message. I'm progressive. That is utterly false and complete fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to do that. Um, <laughs> you get a soundboard going, Roger. I'm telling you, you know, maybe a little something, something. Um, so I was looking at um, Kashama Sawant, uh, sorry, Shama Sawant's um, uh, worker strike back thing, right? And um, I was looking at the $25 minimum wage thing. And, I'm, you know, that's that's not really going to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, even her, even her city according to the Out of Reach Project report, they said it should be like uh, $31.33. No, no, my bad. That's Washington. Uh, yeah. Seattle, $39.31. Um, so I would, you know, I'm, I would like to get a chance if I could ever speak to them. It doesn't have to be her because she says she's not the leader. It's They move as a unit. Um, yeah, I think there's one for New York. I believe there's a launch date for New York. What they probably did is they probably took an average, Roger. Okay. Yeah, they probably took an average because like $39 an hour in Seattle versus $39 an hour in Columbia, South Carolina, two very different things. True. But you want to raise the bar, right? I mean, wouldn't you want to um, have it to where it's like, boom, all the way up there, right? But it is... Ahead, but, well, let me just say on that, on, when I put together my proposed list of demands, I framed it as the concept of demand a minimum standard of living for everyone, which is which is kind of encompasses both, you know, pay and housing and the whole thing. So I'd like to see them, you know, be demanding something like that. They're saying it's not just a simple number. It's saying, look at how like the the, the higher end PMCers live. That should be the minimum standard of life for everyone in the United States. This country is rich as fuck, and we can afford it. But That's what I'd like to hear. Sorry, but, go ahead. 
Sorry. Um, wouldn't it, instead of like a minute, because I was thinking about what Nick Cruz said before. He said, I want to do a thriving wage. So maybe instead of a minimum standard, maybe, uh, I don't know, a maximum standard or, or just a, something that's just a, that's above the cost of living. Some matter of fact, something that closes the income inequality gap. You know, you know what well, I mean? what I'm saying, Roger, is, is, is let's not get caught up in in the numbers or if it's a wage or oh, whatnot. I'm right. saying this is how this should be the life of every single American citizen. They should have right. a good housing. They should have pay. They should have easy, you know, trivial access to food. They should have free health care. You know, that's what we should be demanding. Right. And any politician or any group that's that's settling for less, we should say it's not good enough. Not even close. Well, they so, do have that in their demands. They do have the housing. They also have health care. They, they have all that in the demands. It's just separate numbers, uh, separate I like, demands. I would like to see if I could, like, speak to them and emphasize, you know, uh, public banks, because that, that touches everything. Um, I saw that they had in there, even though it was the last sentence under union, um, when they said, um, when they talked about workers should have ownership, so I, I was definitely yeah. glad to, to hear that. But check this out. Now, I might be late to the program or whatever the case is, right? But I learned a new word today. You know what it is? Judicial dissolution. You ever heard of it? No, but I'm pretty sure I can guess what that refers to. What do you think it is? This idea that you actually get some type of justice from the judicial system. Sometimes called the corporate death penalty is mm. a legal procedure in which corporation is forced to dissolve or cease to exist. Disillusion is the revocation, re, rev, revocation of a corporate corporation's charter for significant harm to society. In some countries, oh. there, there are corporate manslaughter laws. However, almost all countries enable the the revocation, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, revocation, revocation of a corporate charter. There have been numerous calls in the literature for a corporate death penalty. Most recently, a study argued that industries that kill more people each year than they employ should have an industry-wide corporate death penalty. Some legal analysis has been done on the idea to revoke corporate charters for environmental violations, such as for, for severe environmental pollution. Actual judicial dissolutions in the United States are rare. Um, for example, Markov has shown that no publicly traded company failed because of a criminal conviction that occurred between 2001 and 2010. Companies suggested as deserving the corporate death penalty include Eli Lilly and Company, Equifax, Unicol Corporation, what the hell is that? Unicol Corporation, uh, Wells Fargo, um, if Volkswagen or other examples in this volume were forced out of existence, this would send a message. So I was looking at my state. We have diso judicial dissolution. You should check to see, because I was thinking, okay, so if, and I, this is like a state thing, right? So I guess it's probably maybe federal too, I don't know. But what about if we can have, um, uh, we need like new charters for states to issue corp, corp, cooperative charters. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's yeah. just to think about. Well, I was way off on that one. <laughs> well, the, question I, the question I would ask then is, is why isn't that happening? Like all these are great tools 
having great ideas. So why isn't that happening? And of course, I, the other thing I like to say is the, the answer to all political and government why questions is always the same answer. The money. Yeah, money. Yeah. So we're going to have to take that head on. And we're going to have to prioritize it or none of this stuff's happening. So what, what is, what, what's maybe you told me before, but if you can refresh my memory, what is the, um, what is the strategy to get, cause I have my strategy to get there. What, yeah. what's, what's your strategy well, to get to the money thing? Well, I'll do a little plug in that. If you look at, uh, 11demands.org, it is laid out there, 11 demand strategy. But the idea is first you have the list of demands, and so you know key among them in terms of this subject are the constitutional amendments to deal with Citizens United and the whole string of constitutional movements. So you, so you bring in that move to amend that I mean that We the People amendment. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, you make it like a litmus test at the state level. You do public financing ballot initiatives, and you also push for just straight up regulation in the laws. In terms of, you know, so there's that and there's the whole, the whole other set of demands. And hopefully that rallies the masses because people, you know, I think all these demands would be very popular. In terms of strategy, you take that and you just get one step is you just get very difficult about it for starters. So, you know, any Democrat, Republican, you know, it, obviously they're not on board with these demands. So they're automatically excluded and you just be very difficult and vocal and and I heard about that. You say, no, it's not happening. In terms of third-party candidates, if they're on board with the demands, and you say, okay, let's go. Let's organize. Let's fund them. Let's help them. And then beyond that, you also, you know, you use mutual aid. You do direct action. You do marches. You know, you do protests, strikes, of course. But you organize around this list of demands. You make this the core. So the core is not a person. The core is not a single organization necessarily even. But you, you organize around the demands and and just push on it. That's that's the concept. See, because what I was okay. thinking is the, the, the demand. So when we're demanding, we're trying to get them, the politician, to act on our demands. But if if we use, you know, and I know not all states have CBIs, but if we use the CBIs, we can actually do it ourselves. Right. So what I was thinking is I'm all for it. what I was thinking is, right, is. I don't see a way outside of a U.S. constitutional amendment, as seen in the uh, in, in MTA uh, move to amend. Right? I can't see bringing big money, chopping it down to the size of grassroots. But what I do see is instead doing the opposite and multiplying and boosting grassroots with public financing of elections. I mean, to the point where you make it competitive. You know. Now, the thing is, the only way I could see that now we did like a public. Financing. I think we could do both, but sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so we did a public financing of election in New York. Right. And it's going to take effect in 2024 for the um, for the state lawmakers. And then for those who run for statewide office, you know, outside of the U.S. senators, you know, uh, with the four things, uh, governor, lieutenant governor, uh, state attorney general and state comptroller, right? Um, that's going to take effect in 2026, but I'm looking at it and it's not, it's not, um, what's that word? I don't see it as competitive because they're afraid that, okay, well, we're state, we can't issue our own currency, so we have to tax. And that's the reason why it becomes kind of um, shoddy 
because they because they don't want to tax in order to have a robust public financing of election. So that's the reason why I'm thinking of a public bank that it can draw from the uh, the draw from the surplus that a public bank creates. You see what I'm saying now? So it's kind of like a chicken or the egg type of thing, but. That's why I say that if we set it up the right way, a public bank up the right way, like I was tell, telling Terry Hinton um, before, you could make it airtight and, and um, you know, free of corruption, so on and so forth, you know, because you anchor it to the community. And who is this calling? All right, so I'm going on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would just say I think that's a really good angle, really good play with that. The other thing I'll just say quickly is I think we need to get away from this whole, um, what do you call it, scarcity mentality of saying, oh, the, if we're doing public financing of campaigns, the, the, the budgeting and the money is going to be a big problem. They're going to have to raise taxes and whatnot. I think in terms of from our point of view, we should call BS on that. We say there's plenty of money. There's plenty of money sloshing all around in the Fed budget, in the state budgets, and we just need to, to get that money serving the people and not serving the top 0.1% who already have all the money and we can tax them if we need any money at the state level. Okay. Uh, Edu, you have to unmute. Yes. Hi, everyone. Hi, Sabi. Hi, everyone in the room. Um, so I just want to quickly respond to um, neoliberal theory's uh, question and then add my comment. So the, he, his question was like, uh, who Mar Marianne Williamson's target is? And I'm just thinking like, it's the Crystal Skiles left you know like it's is that weird left that has kind of like developed on into its own thing you know it's like you have the tyt sam cedars left and you have like the the you know the the rbn jimmy Dore, glenn greenwald um you know progressive left and then you have this very weird awkward one that like has kind of been led by ryan green crystal ball kyle kolinsky and, you know, like if you see Marianne Williamson spoke to, gave their first interview after announcing their candidacy to Crystal and Kyle, like it, check it out. It's on the Breaking Points um, uh, YouTube channel. Um, so going back to, you know, the whole everything that's wrong with the system, I think this is like an eight year journey, journey for some of us, you know, that started that began in 2016 with Bernie's, um, you know, challenge to the establishment. And it has come crashing after eight years for us to, um, you know, it has made us realize that uh, electoral, the electoral like strategy is not it. It's not it, it's not the inside strategy. You know, like I'm just go back to the interview that um, CJ and Afeni did with uh, with uh, Jen Jen Perlman and and Peter. Oh God, you remember that? <laughs> it's, a it's it's a classic. I mean, I think like it's like a it's like a hidden gem on on in the internet. I encourage everyone to watch it. They deleted the interview. Uh, Jen Jen and Peter deleted the interview from their YouTube channel. But some random YouTube channel that has only like six subscribers. Yeah like uploaded that interview like whenever i need to have a good laugh i just go back to that interview because it's so priceless but anyway but the important point there was that the discussion of the internal versus the inside versus outside strategy and you know like peter and jen were of the kind of like oh yeah we have to do both blah 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 all that crap 
And, you know, CJ was just like pushing, you know, like the outside strategy. And, you know, we go back to that debate of whether like, like you, can you really carry two, those two strategies simultaneously or should you just focus at this point on the outside strategy? And that was something that uh, I go back, uh, you know, like flash forward to 2023 and you see, you know, Kashama, like Sawan doing like a lot of grassroots activism, workers, workers uh, strikes and all that kind of stuff. And then you have Marianne Williamson announcing her candidacy. You know, like I feel more excited about this point, at this point about the local initiatives that can be carried out in small places around this country versus, you know, all these like um, celebrity stunt that Marianne wants to do with the, with the mm. primaries. EDU, I will say, I, I do just want to say that, um, Roger, can you mute for a second? Sorry. I do just want to say that, um, I think Marianne is willing to come on to talk to anybody. I, I will say that. I mean, she, the first time I talked to Marianne, I think I had maybe just broke 2000 subscribers. I'm not, not even exaggerating. So I think she's willing to have conversations with people. Um, when she came on to RBN to talk to me and Nick, she already knew where we stood. <laughs> so like that wasn't, a, she already knew that she mentioned that right off the bat. Um, but I think that I, I think I, I totally hear where you're coming from. You know, Edu, um, I did watch, I watched part of that interview that she did with Crystal and Kyle. I also saw the, the live chat, which was not good. <laughs> was not, I was like, Oh my God, like this is bad. And I think it's just, this idea that Marianne is going to inspire people the way that Bernie Sanders did and get the numbers out the way that Bernie did. I don't think that's, I don't think it's possible. Um, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just being a realist here. And I think that, you know, you brought up a good point about there's different parts. It seems like there's different parts of the left, so to speak. And when Bernie was running, we did not have that. Everybody was all on board for Bernie. That's that's pretty much a big difference. And I think you had TYT backing Bernie, although I think Emma went for I think Emma went for Elizabeth Warren. Yes, um, she did. But for the most part, she, she's yeah, related but, to her. Her family is friends with hers. Yeah, but but for the most part, the network was back in Bernie Sanders and everybody else in left indie media was back in Bernie Sanders. So that that was the difference. Everybody was on the same page. Everybody knew who they were going to back and who they were going to fight for, who they felt like actually had the best policies and had the best chance. Now things are very different, <laughs> but I thought, I think you brought up some really interesting points. Yeah. I mean, I just think at this point, uh, you know, like uh, it's electoral season again, like, you know, I think I'm more excited about the primary, the Republican primaries just for the for the fancies of it for the shit show than the democrats i don't think marianne is my guess is that she won't even make it to the primaries at this stage it's like the whole lounge the whole thing is so poorly executed and um you know she's not carrying a, me a substantial sub substantive message that um you know that uh she will excite anybody but the other point i want to make if i quickly can make it it's uh, on where we stand when it comes to, you know, like the progressive agenda. And I think like at this point, the other thing that is very discouraging is that not even the things that Biden promised, like, you know, he has delivered. 
like and I'm think and I'm talking specifically about the decriminalization of marijuana. Like, you know, he wasn't even promising to legalize it. He was promising like a basic thing of like decriminalize it at the federal level. And um the sad thing about that is that for me, like I personally know people who have been affected by this, by this this type of like by him failing this promise because mm-hmm. this kind of policy choices do have consequences in people's lives. And um, you know, it's it's one thing it's it's something that frustrates me tremendously. You know, that like that, you know, we can have like intellectual debates all night long about like a progressive agenda, all the things that we want to change in the system and everything. But at the end of the day, like even the things that Biden promised is not delivering. So it's like I don't even know where we stand at this point with with like trying to like push for something that like hasn't even met their minimum requirements, um, you know, that mm-hmm. promised by the establishment. No, I hear you 100%. There was a guy that came on RBN earlier on, uh, Michael Tenavasa. He's on Twitter and he was uh, directly affected by Joe Biden's crime bill. And he came on to RBN to talk about like what happened to him because of the mandatory minimums. Um, you know, I think we need to have conversations like that again, like talking to people who've been affected by some of these policies. Now, I know I've done it a lot with healthcare and and in reference to student loans, which I'm going to be doing another another panel on student loans, people who are directly affected by it. But I think that uh, we need to continue to hear from people who have been impacted by these poor policy uh, choices. I really do think so. Well, thank you, Savi. Thank you so much. Uh, Edu. Okay, let's bring in Davis. You are on the mic. Hey, Tavi, how you doing? It's been a long time. How are you doing? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, thanks for taking my call. And thanks for hosting this earlier than usual. That's actually a pretty good um, adjustment for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm thinking about um, the title of the of the calling and it says this everything wrong with the system everything wrong with the system and the first thing that comes to my mind is uh what what do the working class mean by system um what do we mean by the system you know is it capitalism uh, and if it is how many working class americans are this specific you know about the actual issue right so what do Americans mean by the by this system? Is it the economic system, capitalism, or is it the federal government? Um, and if it is either of those, <clears throat> it seems to me that um, political education is needed in a in a huge way uh, because if you don't have specific critiques of of what this alleged system is, you're just gonna be sort of stabbing in the dark, um, and and you cannot have an accurate, you know, solution to a challenge or an issue if you don't have the correct and specific diagnosis. Uh, And this is a principle that, I mean, if you go to a doctor because you have migraines, you know, and they say, oh, you have, you know, you have this, this issue, uh, and then they treat you for that instead of the migraine, you'll you'll be back at the hospital because of the lack of specificity. Uh, And the lack of specificity is what led to the incorrect diagnosis, which led to the incorrect treatment. Uh, which leads you back to the emergency room in an even worse condition. Um, so 
what do Americans mean by the system? Is it the federal government? You know, let's move away from capitalism for a second. And if it is the federal government, then I just wanted to address this thing that I see Americans do a lot. And, well, I, I don't know if it's specific to just Americans, but I'm here, so, you know. Um, and and the, the government, there's this false separation between the government and us, right? So Americans will say, for example, the conservative critique of big government, right? So the big government is a separate entity over there doing things to us over here. Um, so it's like two separate entities. You have the people and the government. And if this is a participatory democracy, if this is a representative democracy, uh, which you guys say it is, um, you know, and, and a representative democracy is basically, you know, people occupy a territory, um, a specific land. You can call it a country or a county or whatever it is. And then they decide, okay, since we're in this territory, you know, how are we going to divide the resources? How are we going <clears> to, <throat> how are we going to set up a society so we can live and, and thrive and all? And the origins of participatory democracy is basically people coming together to, to decide. People decide. Now, the people deciding, that is what government is. There is no separation between the government over there and the people over here. The people are, are the ones who legitimize the government by giving, you know, by assenting to the authority that, that the federal government uh, holds over us. Uh, because Americans will complain about the system, but then they'll go to the DMV and, you know, to get their driver's licenses reviewed, I mean, renewed. And then you accept that, you know, that DMV is a legitimate authority over you and that it has, um, you know, and, and that you're willing to accept that, you know, this little plastic card that they gave me with my picture on it is a legitimate form of ID. So it's a two-way thing. Um, if you, if you, you know, if you want to separate the system from who you are and from your collective self as a, as a body, as a country, that's where trouble begins because then it becomes the boogeyman over there instead of us over here understanding that we are the representative democracy. We are the system. The system cannot exist without us. Um, and the origins of so-called, you know, Democracy is basically a group of people coming together, you know, brought together by some events. In this case, it was the American Revolution. And they decided, okay, so this is our territory now. Um, and this is how we're going to set up a system to govern ourselves, to divide resources. That's called politics. Politics is how do we divide resources amongst each other? How do we build infrastructure? And now that we have this territory that we occupy, how are we going to protect ourselves? That's security, right? And then the system of trading goods and services, how do we get resources? Because you cannot live without resources. Resources is the name of the game. So how do we get resources, right? How do we trade? Um, how do we do trade? What is, what is the system of commerce that we are going to implement? So I'm just bringing it back to the basics, you know, because it's, I understand why the working class people, um, sort of feel like the government is some foreign or alien entity. But to me, it's really because, like, America has 300 million people. So it's pretty difficult to get that sense of collective decision-making. Um, and if there's 100 people occupying 10 acres and they decide, you know, to set up a security system, they decide to share the land and develop a system of commerce, then that's also a government. It's just that it's 100 people, so it doesn't seem as big as 300 million people. 
but it's the same principle. It's we are deciding. We, 100 people, are, are occupying, you know, 150 acres, and we're going to decide how to share it. We're going to decide, you know, what we can do or not do, which is the security, which is the law. So all those principles go back to representative democracy, meaning we are the system. The system is not foreign to us. And it seems that the system is alien because this is a huge territory. And there's 300 million people. And we are still, you know, a representative democracy. Like the system, it, we give it authority. So for me, I see the lack of specificity as the biggest thing. Um, I don't think Americans really have an issue with the system. If the system is capitalism, it seems to me that Americans just want a bigger share, right? Um, or, or a fair deal, so to speak, quote unquote, which of course is impossible in capitalism. Impossible. Even if you enact a $35 minimum wage, the capitalists are just going to adjust. They're just going to adjust to that. And, you know, since they control the means of production, right, they control the politicians, they can just adjust to whatever new progressive policy is implemented. Which leads me to my original critique that, you know, the lack of specificity, if we were talking about capitalism and dismantling capitalism, then the working class would understand that the whole thing needs to go because of the specificity of calling it capitalism, a system where the means of production is privately owned, and so the profits go back to the private owners as opposed to the workers who are actually adding value to the raw materials to create a finished product. So that's capitalism, basically. How many Americans, when they say the system, do they mean capitalism, or do they mean like some senator that they can't stand? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would say most Americans don't mean actually capitalism like those. A lot of us in this space do. But most Americans that I talk to don't. And most Americans that I talk to, even though they have their issues with capitalism, they don't want socialism. And and that's just the reality of me talking to people who are not in left media space. And I think that. The problem that we have, like when you mentioned, like we have people that represent us, the problem is. The people in our government, they're supposed to represent us, but they don't. They represent corporate interests. So some of the systems that we complain about is the policing system, the criminal justice system, the education system, the healthcare system. Like there's a, there's a whole bunch of them, but they all operate under a capitalist system. So the reason why we even have private prisons is because there's profit to be made there. So even that's operating under a capitalist system. But I think what what some of the social dims would say is that if you look at other countries that are still capitalist countries, they have found ways to make sure that people in that country get their basic needs met by guaranteeing that everyone gets health care or guaranteeing that everybody gets paid time off, guaranteeing that everybody gets sick. We don't have those things guaranteed to people in this country. Our representatives couldn't even approve a $15 minimum wage. We had seven Democrats actually that voted against that because again, they're representing corporate interests and they know that the donors that they have would not appreciate that. So I think there's a lot of different systems, but they all fall under capitalism. And I think that's a big, a big part of the problem. And you're right. Like even increasing the minimum wage, if it's still under a capitalist system, the capitalists will just adjust. We've seen this happen before. Exactly. Like, they'll just come up with some newfangled way of 
you know, putting shit back on factory settings, right? Uh, you raise the minimum wage, they'll come up with some concoction, and then, the, you know, all of a sudden, you know, either inflation is going to go up or, like, the, the changes are going to be negated in, in, in you know, in, in a, it's just a matter of time. So I did uh, really like the, the point you raised, Davis, saying, talking about how the government is supposed to be our government. It's supposed to represent us, you know, not, not the billionaires and the corporations. And I think educating exactly. people for that. It goes back to Reagan, you know, that was the whole big Reagan thing and making government the enemy. And it's all, it's all a BS propaganda narrative so that all of us check out of government and just say, oh, I don't, she's terrible, don't deal with that. And then who gets to control the government? You know, the people with all the money. So yeah, I think that yeah, is a good thing. Right, right, right. I agree with that. Um, but the issue is if you, uh, I mean, even your um, explanation um, includes that separation of, you know, the government over there, right? The government for us, for us. No, the government is us. We are the government. It's, a, it's supposed to be a representative democracy. I mean, go back to the 100 people. They are the ones who are making the decision. So they're governing themselves, right? So if those 100 people, if something happens and then they start talking about, you know, big government or whatever, it's like, wait a second, we are the government. We are like, you know what I'm saying? So there's no separation there. And as long as that continues to be the case, uh, plus, of course, Americans are deeply propagandized to just support capitalism no matter what. Uh, people will talk about lack of health care without realizing that, hey, if you incentivize profit making in taking care of, you know, human bodily functions, guess what? Right? Guess what? Second thing, you brought up, uh, Sally brought up the criminal justice system. If you incentivize profit for, for that system, if you turn it into a business, then it's no longer about law and order, right? Because law and order, the, you know, if you want to maintain law and order, you provide for the people because crime is a social, um, it, it's a social phenomenon. It, it's not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, civic education is needed. We talk a lot about political education, but I feel like it's mostly like communists and socialists who talk about that. Um, and when they talk about political education, they're talking about, you know, in their organizations, uh, sensitizing the public about capitalism and stuff like that. But also the civic education is needed so that folks can understand that, you know, there's no government over there doing things to us. Like, that's a false dichotomy. You know, we are the government, right? We are the ones that are, are giving them, you know, legitimacy. So what do we have to do? to get a representative, you know, body that actually, you know what I'm saying? That actually um, is, is responsive to people's needs. Like the Chinese were criticized because they, you know, it was seen as a weakness when there were protests about the COVID, zero COVID. And then Xi Jinping was like, fine, we'll remove those, those, you know, uh, those, those, uh, the zero COVID policy. And they did it. And now China, like, I think like a, a ton of people died in like a two month period. And now they're back to, you know, square one because everybody has immunity and blah, 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 blah. So the Chinese, it seems to me, you know, we look at them and we say, oh, it's an authoritarian dictatorship. Really? An authoritarian dictatorship where there was protest and the communist government literally just did what the people asked for versus the so-called democracy where Joe Biden ran on George Floyd and all that energy. And then he turned around and funded police. 
and he's still being talked about seriously as 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 a presidential candidate who we all are going to give legitimacy by by participating in the electoral process so like who has the democracy we don't have direct the closest that we have <clears throat> excuse me the closest thing that we have to direct democracy is the ballot initiatives and that's something I've, I've covered pretty heavily on my show are the ballot initiatives the ballot measures and not every state has that so that's the closest that we have to it where you can put a question on the ballot and the voters decide whether or not it should pass in the state however notice we do not have that option when it comes to national politics the representatives who are supposed to represent us they're the ones voting on those pieces of legislation and they're the ones that decide whether or not it passes whether we agree with it or or not and that's that's the problem so they don't so so the big part of the problem that we have in this country is that when it comes to passing legislation on a national level even when we are polled we don't have the final say and to be honest with you congress really doesn't have the final say either because the president can veto it and the Supreme Court can jump in. Look at what's happening with the student loan debt cancellation. Look how the Supreme Court is stepping in to decide whether or not they're even going to let this stand. I mean, all this over $10,000 is it's absolutely ridiculous. So I think, I think one of the traps that happens with national electoral politics is that a lot of these candidates, they run on these issues and these policies and some of them will go as far as to break it down to tell you how much it's going to cost to implement these measures, but they leave out the civics piece, which is, do you have the votes in the House? Do you have the votes in the Senate? If you become president, are you going to pass it? Obviously, because it's, it's your policies that you're championing for, but can the Supreme Court come in and turn it over? And that piece is left out. And it was brought to my attention recently that a lot of people in this country apparently were not required to take civics. I had to take civics when I was in high school. It, was, it wasn't it was even an option. It was a part of the regular curriculum. So if you haven't taken civics and you don't understand how the three branches actually work and who can do what and who can jump in where, then you're faced with all this frustration, which a lot of people are faced with right now in reference to the student loan cancellation. That's why a lot of people are really angry and they're saying, I can't believe just one judge could come in and turn it over. Well, those of us who were very familiar with the process, we, a lot of us tried to tell people that this was going to happen because of the way that it was done. Some people are saying they don't understand how the Supreme Court can even intervene, but they can. And I want to be very clear here, even when we talk about a policy like Medicare for all, I hate to give credit to David Pakman, but he was 100% right about this. And he said this three years ago, that we're not going to get Medicare for all. Because if you don't make private health insurance um, illegal, the Supreme Court can come in and shut Medicare for all down. They can overturn it. And that is a piece that Bernie Sanders did not tell us. It's also another piece that he didn't tell us was the fact that he did not have the votes for Medicare for all in the House. And that's the thing. The House can, can still come in and decide to veto. So that's the thing that these pieces are very key. And I don't know, every election cycle, it doesn't matter who is president. 
I see Americans get very upset when these types of these types of policies fail in the way that they fail. And it's very clear to me it's because a lot of people don't understand how the branches of government work. So I think we actually do have to do more uh, about educating people about that because it's, it's just a reality of the situation. I mean, even when it comes to the Senate, even if all of the Democrat senators would approve of like $15 minimum wage, you still have the parliamentarian. Look, we saw this happen with another policy. I forget which one, but it was another policy where the Senate parliamentarian said no. And Kamala Harris was actually the tiebreaker where she could have just voted yes and broke the tie and she chose not to. So I think there's so many different layers to passing legislation. Then after passing it, implementing that legislation, and the Supreme Court can come in and stop that. So I think it goes back to knowing what the branches of government do and what you can actually get done, at least in national politics on that level. And it's unfortunate that we don't have more states that are ballot initiative states, but if we did, if every state was a BI state, I think a lot of us would pay less attention to national politics and we would be focused on what we can get done on the local level. Yeah, because, um, oh, yeah, so the three ways of direct democracy um, about the ballot initiative, um, power in the workplace through co-ops, and a public bank that is tied to the public interest, right? Um, also, so socialism. what's that? I said, so socialism then. <laughs> right. You know what, though? And this is the reason why I don't get too much hung up on on, on the labels, because try, I, I, I often, like, you know, try this. Uh, if a person says... But why not, oh, though? Oh, let, let me just finish. Um, mm-hmm. So a person says, oh, I'm against socialism. You know, they really don't even... A lot of them don't even know what socialism is, right? But when I tell them that, you know, well, you know, you could own your work, like you can be the owner of your company. Sometimes it all depends on how you frame your your argument or whatever the case is. And you just talk to people and just get rid of the labels instead of socialism. You know what I mean? Instead of capitalism. You know what I mean? Scare the shit out of people or whatever the case is. You just have a comp- and I, I just do this for a living. I just, you know, I've been driving people for like a couple of decades, pretty much. Right. And I just, mm-hmm. you, you just get good at it. And you just talk to people and been like, and you told, tell them, you know, yeah, workers owning um, a stake, having a stake in their company and actually owning the company. And then you break down how that could be beneficial. And I haven't seen anybody. There was only one person who was just, who said that's socialism. You know, when, when I said that, because so, he was, he was arguing on behalf of Jeff Bezos pretty much. And, mm-hmm. um, I said, oh, okay, so you like having a boss then. And then he stopped. <laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't know what to say. You know what right, I mean? Right. So, so you like well, having I mean, a boss then, right? So um, so also, um, I, you talk because I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing about everything you just said, about it, I'm going to focus on the label issue here. Now, the Democratic Party does not make those kind of um, – arguments or or when you talk about how you know work a democracy nancy pelosi said we're capitalists 
okay? So if you go to, like, your local Democratic branch or whatever it is, nobody's going to have, you know, these conversations about public banks, about Medicare for all. Uh, They're not going to have that. The people who are making those arguments, um, using those labels, are, you know, socialists and communists. And and when when, when they organize, you know, you can begin with that language of, you know, do you like bosses? But if you invite them to your org, like, they'll see socialism. They will, okay? So, because, again, only the socialists and, and, and uh, the so-called far left are making those kind of, you know, public ownership of means of production arguments, right? Democrats aren't doing that, and Republicans damn sure ain't doing that. So, you can, I guess, I mean, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I think it's patronizing to, to Americans to sort of treat them with kid gloves, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think it's just much better to just kind of lay it on the line, and if people reject or accept, that's 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 on them. Um, but if you try to obfuscate, unless you're an independent actor of some kind, which again, organizing shouldn't be solo, should be we, we done within the confines of a structure, on which an, is an org basically. Um, so if you say, hey, why don't you come down and see us? We talk about this stuff. Someone's going to talk about socialism in a socialist org. Like, it's no, I understand that. That, that. That's why I was saying, like, what you just said, when you said, unless you are talking about it on an independent individual basis, that's kind of like what I was saying. Um, hmm. okay, I'm, I, I'm not like, the, the only thing I really want to coalesce around is, uh, is New York State becoming a ballot initiative state? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm looking at it as um, you, like you have these organizations or whatever the case is, right? And they go, we're going to be for all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just looking at it instead of, I'm, oh, what's the word? What's the word? I'm looking at something, I don't know, whether you want to call it, I guess instead of using... Uh, a, a battle axe to just everything, just more like acupuncture needles, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where it's just like, okay, this is the ballot initiative we're going to concentrate on. We're going to go piece by piece by piece by piece instead of biting off more than you can chew and putting, trying to put the whole dinner uh, uh, dinner plate in your mouth. We're just going to go piece, just like how you eat your dinner. You know, just piece. I just finished eating dinner. That's why I'm using this reference. Um, we're going to go piece by piece by piece by piece. This one we're going to focus on um, um, a ballot initiative for public bank. This one we're going to focus on judicial uh, uh, dissolution. This one we're going to focus on, you know, like peace. So this way you get to see where people are on issue by issue by issue by issue things. Whereas like these big organizations, they'll be like, oh, I like that, but I don't like that thing that they're for. I like that, but I don't like that thing that they're for. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm taking a look at it as piece by piece by piece by piece, state by state by state by state. You know, I'm I'm hoping that maybe somehow to hook up with the um, the, the socialist Sharma Sawant people, uh, the worker strike movement people, say, hey, what is your plan to put heat to uh, the legislators of state le- lawmakers of non-ballot initiative states to make them ballot initiative states for constitutional amendments, right? And um, that was the last thing that I, so it's like, for instance, oh, I'll give you, I'll use myself 
as an example, when I'm saying that you have an organization where you'll agree with this, 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 and this, but not this. So the fifth thing the worker strike people had on was we need a new party. Okay. So if you know me, you know, I am not for no parties. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would much rather have a ballot citizen ballot initiative to amend state constitutions that say the existence of political parties in the state of fill in the blank shall be deemed unconstitutional and anything like it. You, you, so how you, do you conduct foreign so, policy without a party? Well, let me, let me, let me uh, chime in here uh, just for a second. You don't necessarily need a political party to conduct foreign policy because the president can actually make some foreign policy decisions on his own. That's why it's incredibly important, at least for me, that if you are not strong on foreign policy, I can't vote for you, even if you're an independent or you're running third party for president, because you can make solo decisions. Barack Obama made several solo decisions in reference to drone strikes. Biden yeah. has done the same thing. He's done drone strikes against people in Somalia as well. So that's the thing. Like, you don't really have to belong to a party to make those kind of decisions. But I think the thing is, is that to Roger's point about using the term socialism to people, the problem is the mainstream media in this country heavily has propagandized the American people to believe that socialism is evil and is not something that we want here. Otherwise, we're going to end up like Venezuela or we're going to end up like Cuba. In fact, they use that same rhetoric when Bernie Sanders ran both times. And Bernie Sanders isn't even a full-blown socialist. So that's right. the problem. So what I've learned to do is just to present the policies to people. Exactly. And that's how we get them to pass. We've been able to get them to pass here in Massachusetts. Like they're not attached to a presidential candidate. They're not attached to a local candidate or a politician. Therefore, those policies are not attached to a political party. So that's how we were able to pass the millionaire tax in Massachusetts that we passed in November. That's how we were able to pass $15 minimum wage years ago before Bernie Sanders even thought about running. We passed $15 minimum wage. So you see the thing is like, that's how we were able to get something like, it was called Romney care, which you guys now know of it as Obamacare, but it came from Massachusetts. And so I think the thing is, is that what we've learned through these ballot initiatives is that even in red states, progressive policies are passing as a local ballot measure, but they're not passing on the federal level. So what that tells you is that even in some of these conservative states, when you just present the policy to the voters directly to them, just as a question on their ballot, and it's not attached to a political candidate, the people vote for what's best for their best interests economically and socially most of the time. And that's how we've been able to pass these progressive policies. None of this stuff has happened on the national level. Also, the... Um uh davis so I, I was thinking like this a lot of times how you frame the argument so i've been seeing like bernie sanders and maybe some others talking about uh uh tax taxing the rich as as it pertains to jeff bezos elon musk um bill gates and saying that that oh that, you know they need to be taxed so 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 on right this is one of the arguments that I, well not argue, we weren't like you know but this is the argument that I was having with the person who I was just telling you about that said um, uh, 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 
you know, who said, uh, oh, oh, cooperatives, that's socialism. So that same guy, right? Um, when you use, when you say, we need to tax Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all those guys, right? I think that's the wrong argument. I think the the biggest rich uh, fat cats and that are the most dangerous that we should be applying the tax the rich argument to are the private equity Wall Streeter people. And the reason why I say that is um, we used to call them corporate raiders back in the 90, in the 80s. Today, we call them private equity. And now that's becoming a bad word. So they're beginning to use like another word or something like that. Just like they don't want to be known as corporations anymore. They want to be known as the business community. But when in, anyway, right? I think the tax the rich argument works best for those guys. Reason being is because the private equity people, corporate raiders, they contribute nothing to society. Now you can take a look as much as we're like, as Bezos and the Uber people and Bill Gates, they're pain in my neck because they're, you know, for, for all the stuff that they do, I can at least say that they at least contribute something to society. Okay. So if you talk to the average person outside of this space about Amazon, they're like, oh, I love Amazon. Oh, my God. Oh, I love Amazon. I love me with some Amazon. You can't like, that's a hard thing to overcome, right? So you use the tax the rich argument toward the private equity people because you don't hear these people saying, oh, I love me some private equity. Oh, give me some more private equity. I love me some private equity. You know what I mean? So they don't even know what that is. So you use the tax the rich argument against those people because they're not contributing anything to society. Instead, they're, they're sucking businesses dry. Okay. So you, what you do is you just suck the life out of them by by just taxing them out of existence, just like Dr. Kaboob said. You know, you use tax as a regulation and you just tax them out of existence, right? Now for the Elon Musk people, what you what you use against them is cooperatizing their business. And, you know, ju- I'm, I know I'm gonna be saying this word a lot, judicial disillusion. You feel what I'm saying? So you use like two different arguments for two separate types of, of fat cats, of rich fat cats. You, you see what I'm saying? I know you weren't talking about tax and rich before. I just decided to bring that in. But um, you know what I'm saying? So it, it, it all goes to how strategic, you know, you want to be with, with and where you want to go. You feel what I'm saying? So, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to just finish up with this. Um, I'm going to respond to your comments about uh, doing acupuncture. Um, which is, you know, I, I guess using that as like the, you know, small, small approach is what I call it. Um, but, you know, the thing is, like, if you have sciatica, you, you need surgery. You know what I'm saying? You need surgery. So you can get acupuncture and, and get temporary relief, but you're going to have to be cut open to deal with that sciatica. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Um uh, listening to the worker strike um, uh, folks talk, uh, one of the things that I loved about uh, their platform is, you know, uh, um, unionize Amazon everywhere, right? They're going to have monthly meetings to discuss how to unionize Amazon everywhere. I love that. I love the everywhere that, that aspect of that because mm-hmm. that that is really, I mean, they don't call them. I don't know if they call themselves a political party, like you said, Sabi, or not, but that seems a very 
um, sort of ambitious and broad, you know, goal. And I love that. You know what I'm saying? Well, that um, was actually, that was Chris Small's goal. But the reality is Chris Small can't do it all by himself. Exactly, which is why it's very, very, I, I keep emphasizing the, 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 the role of a party because a party is the only entity that can marshal resources um, effectively to sort of tackle institutions, right? Because if you want to tackle an institution or a system, quote-unquote, then you need your own sort of version of a system to respond. You cannot do it individually. just cannot because you're not responding to an individual, um, you know, you're not, you're, not, you're not responding to an individual. So I, I, I do think that I do hear you all, um, and I'm just going to, you know, say that I particularly, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to say this, but I'm not hopeful, um, simply because the gap, the gap of understanding is so huge in terms of what needs to be done. And also kind of, I, feel, I kind of feel for the American working class, man, because they're kind of trapped in this sort of, you know, vortex of, of this rat race of just, you know, you just all, all on, on the hamster wheel, you know? And I don't know how to extricate ourselves from that. Like, I just don't know. I mean, if, if life is getting more expensive, um, you need, the only way to get resources for working class people is to sell labor. So no matter what happens, if you don't address that, the fact that the only way for us in a so-called representative democracy, we've chosen uh, the system of commerce called capitalism, uh, which is also a system of resource distribution, and, 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 and everything else flows from that, like you said. So to me, I would rather uh, follow the example, for example, of you know the economic freedom fighters, which is a political party in South Africa, um, which is really, really making waves and I believe could win the presidency in 2025. Um, and they are like Marxists and they say it, right? They're socialists. They just say it. And, and some of their policies in, 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 uh, in their platforms are not popular with, with particularly black South Africans, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because they, uh, they advocate for a borderless Africa, which I advocate uh, for as well. <laughs> Africa was not created by Africans. The Africa that we see today was created by white Europeans. That's right. And so Malema and the economic freedom fighters, his name is Julius Malema, uh, they, they are like, okay, well, we're going to form a political party, and one of our platforms is going to be a borderless Africa, and black South Africans were not having that. Not having that um, because they're very, like, they're, they're becoming more like ADOS-like over there. Uh, like what? Like ADOS, like ADOS. Oh. Like the, yeah, but, well, not ADOS, but like more like an FBA. I feel like FBA is like a more like extremist version. I feel like there's some people who are descendants of enslaved Africans that actually like, it's all about the lineage and not all the extra anti, you know, the xenophobic shit. But, you know, the EFF said, listen, this is our policy. Like, we understand that some of you don't like it because, you know, there's a lot of Zimbabweans and Nigerians and, 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 and people from the Southern Africa, uh, people from other African territories that come to South Africa. And, and you know, they, they get jobs and start businesses and they get successful and that builds resentment. So the, 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 the black South Africans, not all of them, not all of them, but a huge contingent calls them, you know, foreigners, like calling Africans in Africa, black Africans, foreigners. And the EFF said, we're not going to moderate our stance. We don't believe in, in borders in Africa. 
you know, if you don't um, like that platform, then just don't join us, just like that. And, 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 and that has been their consistent stance, and they have grown as a party in spite of that, because they actually go out there in the communities and organize as well. So that people can see, okay, I don't agree with some of their stuff, but they're the ones here, you know, protecting us. You know, every time some racist shit happens, the EFF is there, right? Raising hell, right? Every, there was an incident with, uh, with swimming pools where, you know, black uh, South Africans, like, entered a swimming pool, and then all the white people just got out, right? And then, like, two... They were afraid they were going to turn black. You, you know, yeah, I don't understand their logic, but they, they, they did that, and then they started assault, grown-ass white boars started assaulting, you know, black teenagers, and the black teenagers stood up for themselves. And the EFF was there the next day, literally, like, it was like a whole bunch of black people in the swimming pool, dancing, chanting, embarrassing the shit out of that establishment. Mm. So when you do stuff like that and you are with the people, then they might be able to be like, listen, I'm not feeling this whole borderless thing, but you people out there, when those white people did that shit to us, you came out for us. So you, know, so you can kind of drag them along that way, but not necessarily feeding them um, bits and pieces. So I'm going to just conclude with that and uh, continue to enjoy the show. Thanks for let, listening to me, Sabi. Thank and you thanks, so Robert. much. Thank you so much, Davis. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Sile. Sile, you are on the mic. Hi. Hi, Sabi. Thanks for coming back. Uh, first, I wanted to thank Roger for sending me the info about the public banks because I said I couldn't figure out why here in Argentina we have them, but we couldn't use them. And yeah, I did figure it out. And inter 80% interest rate, Roger. That's why we cannot use it very well. And can I do, uh, I have something to, to say about the drugs policies, but can I make a small uh, comment on the, on the previous speaker? Because sure, go ahead. I think he has something right in, like, I don't agree. It's as easy as he says it. But the thing is, I, and I keep saying it here, right? It's not to you. It's to everybody. Uh, here, they, we have also, right, this narrative about, oh, we're becoming, we're going to be Venezuela. We're, and in other countries, it's, you're, we're going to be Argentina, for instance, in Brazil, right? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny, <laughs> but people still scare about Venezuela. And the thing is that uh, what I always say is that these governments that we have, they don't came out in, from an outer spaceship and landed and conquered the country in spite of her will. So there is something to it that we have to take a stand and say, okay, <laughs> part of it was not doing something or doing too much of something and or believing, just believing whatever we heard as a sponge and go and vote. And sometimes I see like there is big movements or big uh, marches in the U.S. that get to to the TV all over the world, and they are like entering the Capitol or the the George Floyd marches, and then there are other organized marches that are very very much more smaller, right? That are very and. And on top of that, right, how many people voted for Bernie Sanders after he made all that movement and how many people didn't show up to vote. So I'm not saying that it, that is something that, OK, if that changes or everybody goes to vote, the, the system will change. That's a, a fantasy. And to do that thing about 100 people separating that, 
that been done in places and it costs a lot a lot of blood right in panama for instance they have their own state inside of panama that it's independent but there was a lot of blood for that so my point is that uh, the movements, for instance, as he was quoting in Africa, right? Like what I see here is that there are more than movements. They create cooperatives for people that that are rescued for for from uh, sweatshops, or they create uh, right like different type of jobs for people that doesn't have labor, right? Like for that doesn't that cannot achieve employment and all their rights, but still work and they organize them. So it's not just, sometimes you cannot know everything and you cannot educate everybody on on law, on civics as much as we could, but uh, the movements can do things to get response just by helping people and moving and being out there. Mm. That sometimes we don't, don't really do, right? Because marching is something, but it's not everything. So that was... That's my point on what he was saying. Let me um, ask you a question really quick, yeah. Cile. Yeah, how, how is it that in, in South America, because I've seen, I've covered a lot of protests, it seems like at least within the past year or so, but how is it that in South America, you also can manage to get thousands of people out in the street for protests? Well, thousands, millions. It's, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's part of uh, of the culture, I guess. Also, it's these movements. They don't just... Uh, there are two types of movements. There is the political movements and it's the social movements. The political movements are created by usually middle-class people, right? They have success. They make political parties, the small ones, bigger ones, and they manage to attract a lot of people. That takes money. That takes a lot of things. But the social movements, these are the ones that go in the terrain, right? Like they go and do stuff for people. And when you do stuff for people, especially right now, it used to be the workers, and now the workers have big unions and they are not so willing to move. Uh, but now it's excluded. There is the numbers. So what they do is they work for these people, right? Like, uh, for instance, I will never organize something because it's not in my personality. But if I wanted to, when I want to participate in something, you lift us a, a stone and, and there you find a movement of whatever you want, right? There's a, a union for sex workers. There's a, whatever you need, right? Like uh, there are people that are there working with the people that are struggling. And then when they call for a march, everybody goes. And there is this wow. fantasy or this, this lie that is they do it because they are given, they're getting fed, right? Like the, for the choripan, they say, right? The choripan is a, it's a sandwich wheat that is for the choripan and, and a kind of soda. But the thing is that then when these people get together with environmentalists, right? And, and they, they environmentalists show into the workers' march or the or they are marches for people that doesn't have a job. And yeah, the thing is that when they go into a march, then the environmentalists show up as well because they were first for the others. And so that's how they, they unite. That's how even unions, they started united with unions from other countries in order to be stronger. That doesn't solve everything at all. But yeah, I think it, it has to do with, with more being, being more a thing of community than it is 
uh, and supporting and and then you have the the other thing is i guess it's a cultural thing because you have i don't know the team that was the world cup and five million people show up without no police in in one part of the of the country that was the biggest but they were all over the country and nobody got hurt and i don't know i guess there is also plus what we had is when after the dictatorship right like the first uh, march that were people got killed uh, like shot by the police the the government at that point they, they it was toppled right it was kind of not i was very young but it was toppled and then there was another one in, that killed 39 people in in 2001 and declared a state of emergency people went to the street and they left in a helicopter and resigned so police are not so much willing to shoot people now because of the consequences to the government but that was achieved about because of dying of many many people dead and and a military dictatorship that left yeah the country devastated Mm. Let's bring in Noel. I want to get your take on this, what Sile just said about how they were able to, they're able to get that many people out in the streets. And I was thinking about this as Davis was speaking. I think that was Davis. Um, you know, in terms of mobilization, especially in this country, it has to be rooted um, or has historically been rooted in some type of organization. So we always talk about organized and mobilized. And the, one of the biggest non-governmental uh, mechanisms for organizing the people in this country has been the unions. And that's why I appreciate so much the worker strike back to empower the unionization movement. You know, in this country, there is an extreme backlash to major movements, especially when the people come out. You know, there was a big pushback against the George Floyd movement just because it had so many people coming out. And then you have the infiltrators who, you know, create a hubba hubba so as to give the visual so that the police can say they had to intervene and what have you. But again, to the point that Sile was making, if you do things for people, if you organize people, if you help people, then when they begin to trust you and what happens is a relationship is formed. And so once they understand that you are working on their behalf or in their best interest, when you call for, you know, marches and things of this nature, just like with the civil rights movement, the people will come out. And so I see the worker strike back as the, having the potential as a vehicle of organizing the people through the unions. And it is because the unions um, have a certain amount of cachet with the working class it is a natural outflow of that organization to then organize the communities in a broader sense. You know, um, the unions that existed during the time of the civil rights movement played a um, substantial role in helping organize. And it was a symbiotic relationship, whereas, you know, the civil rights movement was trying to help the organization of the um 
trash collectors at the time that Martin Luther King was killed. So, you know, it's just one of those things. But I think, like I say, the um, unions is just a really good vehicle for organizing and then using that organization through the union to further organize and mobilize. Yeah, well said. I, well said. You guys notice how the railroad workers, when they came on, so they've been on twice now, but you notice how when they came on, notice how they don't work at the same facility. Like they don't, you know, Mary Lee and, and Matt, they're not in the same state. But notice how they came out for each other like that? Right. And, and you know, the national unions like the... um Union of Railroad Workers and even the transit workers have national unions. So even though they may not work at the same location or in the same um, city in the same state, their various um, branches are organized by the same overarching um, federated union. So they're marching by similar guidelines and rules and this and that. And that's why they're so powerful because they organize the people across the city, state, and nation, like the teams. Yeah, here, there you go. Here, unions are incredibly strong, incredibly strong, and some unions more than others. And the thing is, for instance, there was the, a, a problem with disabled people, right? And there was a march, and there was about, I don't know, 100 people. And one policeman, like, pushed a, a woman that was carrying a, a child in a wheelchair. And the left party came out, and it was a much bigger. And then the 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 ones that have the most power are the, of course, the truck drivers because they can stop the country. They they can stop the country in a second, because you don't get food into cities, and that's a major, right? Labels. Uh, and when they said, "Okay, we are coming out now," uh, all the problems solved for the disabilities for the disabled. So it's, it's also, as, as she said, like the, there is this has to be this interconnection and this notion that if if you hurt someone in a march, you hurt all of us. So if someone in a march is attacked by the police, like everybody has to come out. So it like it, they see that there is strength in the numbers. But yeah, the, the problem is get the numbers because the unions usually, I don't know how they're formed there, they usually, the unions usually have the power of a strike, right? Of, of top working and, and stopping a lot of money coming into, for instance, I don't know, the railroad workers. Like, I don't know why they didn't do anything about the, the contamination, but yeah, it's the, the, all the trains stop at the same day, at the same moment, right? Or even sometimes when they get a lot of pushback from the workers, the, the subway people, they will let people in without charging and make the company lose money. So when you make someone lose money, yeah, usually they move in order, like the government moves. So the unions, are, even if, like today, they just have to say it and they, they do marches all the time. But to have the support of each other, themselves have the support of each other, right? Like they get together sometimes. They fight, there is a lot of corruption, there is a lot of... But the thing is that when you you stop feeding a city with all the 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 food that the this the twenty million people are waiting for it, uh, yeah, then you have a very big, very big. And I have 
cards in your hand. There has been such a concerted effort in this country to dismantle the unions because they were so effective at marshalling the votes of the people behind this candidate or that. But, um, you know, there has to be a means to organize the people. And that has been one of the most effective. Mm -hmm. the, the last government was kind of the post right wing government. There was a, a leak tape of a reunion of the, the, the Ministry of Work and many other many important people and, the, and what is the equivalent of our, like our CIA or FBI, right, like intelligence. The, about right trying how to do to dismantle the unions and in, they, there was all these plans that took took place actually about infiltrating the unions making a mess then they put the union leaders in jail and stuff like that that they had after the tapes they had to let them go but yes the, there is a the big push and i know about how hard in the u.s the there was government that worked in order to crush the unions that you had that were very, very strong. Yeah, yeah. Even the Supreme Court now is trying to make it so that workers can't go on strike. So these are the kind of things that, you know, I just want people to be aware of because, again, yeah. like, they, I think they're starting to see, <laughs> I think they're starting to see that people no. are really angry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a problem because the the judiciary system, like here as well, like they took a lot of, a life of his own, right? Like no matter the president or the party or whoever is chosen locally or like when they they have an agenda, and they they build so much power without people noticing for so long. They here as well, they have so much power. Uh, yeah. The the other thing I wanted to ask you is was is not Marianne the the self-help lady because I never took the time to listen to her because I always thought of her about that since she ran a self-help empire or something like that. Yeah, she, um, so Marianne was Oprah Winfrey's spiritual advisor. Okay. Because yeah. to me, this, this self-help thing is like the disgusting byproduct of meritocracy, which is the worst propaganda for capitalism that they could come up with is like the most disgusting right-wing mentality, right? That it's always your fault that you can get. So to me, the basis in this woman, I, I just don't understand how could she, with that mindset, be even right, like helpful for, for anyone when you consider that you can improve yourself just by buying a book or how how much how able are you to understand real problems if that's your solution if that's what you sell to the world hmm. that's a good question i mean she did run in 2020 also um although she was on the debate stage in 2020 but they didn't let her speak as much so when she got to speak you know she tried to say as much as she could with the time that was given to her they did the same thing to andrew yang too um but i think that I don't know. Like, I, I mean, you know, she knows. She already knows what it's like because she's already done it. And yeah, I don't know. I yeah, just don't. I don't see this going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the last thing I'm going to, I was going to tell you because I heard about the the these people talking about being incarcerated for having marijuana and stuff like that. 
Uh, and I don't think when big things happen in the world, I don't think there are many coincidences. And just now, what happened was in El Salvador, there is a horrible thing going on. It's really, really terrible thing. Like the, the, for some months now, there was declared a state of emergency, which means you have no rights. And they've been put in jail in the worst conditioning in the worst conditions you have imagined, like uh, tens of thousands of people, right? And then liberated without trial, without any kind of legal, just by, I don't know, you had a tattoo in your, in your face, so you are one of the maras. To the point that the people that say that they used to have, were very afraid of the maras, which are these gangs that were created actually in LA, you know them as MS-13 or something. And then when they were deported to El Salvador, they took hold of the country, basically. And they got to the point that the president is, is saying that uh, if, there is, uh, any, if there is more killings outside of jail, he will start, like, he feeds them now twice a day, and he will start feeding them one time a day. These are prisoners without trial, right? And... Uh, it, it's been paraded it, and the right wing couldn't be more excited all over South America and Central America. And the thing is that can just also when uh, the president of of Colombia and Brazil and they were having these talks about uh, legalizing drugs because their point is that the narco traffic is killing people there. It's not the consumption that with that, with the money he could get from, you know, like taxes from the growers of coca leaves or whatever, like he could do a lot of things for people who become addicts, that that's not the problem of, that's a problem of Europe and that's a problem of the US, but it's not the, not what is killing people in, in Colombia, which makes a lot of sense. And yeah, when they are talking and are these big movements, he, he started with education, he started to do a lot about tackling narco-traffic and going forward to legalization, all these things starting to happen and all these laws are starting to get very tough. And yeah, just so to make the connection that, because I don't think these things happen by themselves. Mm. There was this, he tried to make a pact with the Maras and uh, because there was like 105 uh, murders every 100 inhabitants in El Salvador per day. So the thing is that it was it was the most dangerous country in the world, in the whole world, like counting wars and stuff. The ones that they have records, of course, I'm not talking, I assume that there demon would be wars, but the thing is that uh, when he did that, the FBI, uh, they, they denounced him for making a pact with these Maras and they started to put sanctions on the country and on officials, monetary sanctions. And well, then you have this. And just wanted to comment on that just to keep an eye because this is really, really bad. And it's had this, you know, this thing when you sell it very cheap to the people is, oh, look, it was 105. And now he has like no murders. It's the safest country in the world. And and they sell it as if it was some kind of miracle and that you can be a free person because there will be no crime when, right? Like 
you can be in jail. We've been through that during the military dictatorship, and that means you are walking on the street and look some police on the bad way, and he would take you to jail because there is no nothing he can go through, right? No trial, no accusation, no nothing. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, so it's all coming. Huh? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I, I was saying that it, it all seems to to be coming together in a way. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that, Cile. No, it's okay. Thank you for coming back and listening. <laughs> Bye-bye. Alrighty, let's bring on uh, Brady. You are on the mic. Just got to unmute. What's up again, Savvy? Good to see you. Thanks for hosting us again. And I could not agree with you more. The system is totally corrupt. It needs to be crumpled up, thrown in the trash can. We need something totally new. So I came up with a whole new system that's uncorruptible and totally awesome. And we got to be doing it. But like, I'm doing it myself. It's ridiculous. You would not believe the amount of pushback I've gotten from this idea. Um, I mean, and from the strangest places, the majority of the pushback comes from people who would identify as left or liberal or progressive, you know. Um, I regularly went over conservatives, like almost every conservative I tell about this. And I'm, I consider myself one of the most radical lefties I know, you know, I'm, I'm left-handed. My hair spirals to the left. I've given you the whole spiel. I'm very left. I'm to the left <laughs> of Bernie Sanders. I'm to the left of a very lot of people. <laughs> and I find it very strange that I have no problem. I've actually, well, I spent a lot of work, um, during the Trump years, trying to win over Donald worshipers, you know, and that was not easy. I'm here in Texas, so I'm surrounded by these people. And I've gotten very good at winning over Donald worshipers, actually getting them, not my own father. I haven't converted my own father yet, but, um, you know, uh, I've been very good at getting people to walk away from Donald and come back to reality, come back to earth and, turn into some very cool people who I've actually turned into employees. I've actually hired them for work and uh, they went on to become uh, clients of mine. I actually hired a guy for work and then uh, sold him a piano <laughs> later on. So it's like, you know, the craziest thing, but I have the hardest time with the left. Like these guys aren't interested in helping. So what's going on there? What do you think is going on? I think there is a significant portion of the left that has just kind of thrown their hands up in the air after Bernie 2020. I think that's that there's that portion. And then I also think that that same portion, some of them are just like, I can't even believe that people are still trying to do the strategy of progressives through the democratic party. So there's that too. And then there's another portion that still wants to try the strategy, even though they realize that the progressive politicians are not, um, they're not trying to fight for us, but they're still willing to try to do it. So you have a divided left, so to speak. And I don't even know if I would call it left because honestly, we don't really have a left in the United States. So I think that we have individuals that consider themselves to be left, but we don't really have a left in the United States. America is a conservative country. Even when you look at a lot of the Democrats, a lot of times on some of these social issues, they're conservative. And I'll, I'll use the example of um, I'll use the example of the, the South. 
because I lived in the South and I can tell you that even in states like South Carolina, which Joe Biden intentionally made first in the primary, most of the Democrats in South Carolina are conservative. And what I mean by that is that they may, they're a Democrat basically because of some of the social issues, even though they may disagree with some of those social issues. What do I mean by that? And Noel, you can, you can attest to this probably too as well. Particularly like you have some people that are Democrats in the South and they're a Democrat because they feel like the Democratic Party is the best party in reference to fighting for social issues that fit them, meaning that it's the better party for fighting for or protecting like black rights or protecting like, you know, civil rights gains that we've had in this country. It was abortion for me. You know, I was Green Party vehemently against Republicans and Democrats. I did not subscribe to the false dichotomy. And yet I voted for uh, Joe Biden to protect uh, abortion rights. So I, I, I took the bait. I fell for it. Yeah, but here's, here's the tricky part. Because even those same people, though, will still not agree with certain parts of the Democratic Party in reference to other social issues. So, like, for example, they may agree with the Democratic Party in reference to uh, ending police brutality and making sure that certain gains through civil rights are not removed and certain protections for women stay in place. But then those same people, and I've, I've seen this like heavily, I saw it in North Carolina, I saw it in South Carolina, I saw it in Georgia, but then those same people will turn around and say, yeah, we're against LGBTQ. And, and Noel, I think, I think you know what I'm talking about because it's, you see it a lot in the black church. Yeah. You see it a lot. It's like, and so there you go. The thing is, um, most, you know, the, the church, the Christian church was the mainstay and the safe space for black people coming out of the um, enslavement. And it was one of the few places where they were allowed to organize and even though it wasn't supposed to specifically be organizing it was one of the few um endeavors or activities that was allowed um under the guise of worship and praise and then after that they began to naturally build community and organize well the thing about it is that made a lot of black christians culturally conservative and so they are armed with what they've learned through the Bible lessons and this and that and their perspectives on who is acceptable in the world is limited and guided by that biblical or scriptural understanding. Um, but, you know, and it has been a very um, divisive thing in the black community because they perceive that if these other people, these others, these LGBTQ people are given a type of equal status, then it is has a diminishing feeling to the black status. And in this, you know, society that has been organized primarily um, by rich and poor and behind rich and poor, black and white, um, black people are very suspicious of LGBTQ people in the sense that white LGBTQ people who they consider 
socially unacceptable still have the whiteness to, you know, Trump be a Trump card socially, even against heterosexual blacks. So a LGBTQ white person still, in a sense, comes ahead of heterosexual black people. And there's been an issue with that that has caused a certain amount of trauma in the black community because the black community is no more sensitive to black LGBT people than they are to white ones. So it's, it's a very difficult thing, but in terms of the economics and the um, economy, they're very democratic in the sense that they believe they should have access to the accommodations and this, that, and a third. And it's really been a, um, it's really been a sad state of affairs um, to watch these dynamics and dichotomies unfold in the 21st century with everybody still being pitted against each other, you know, basically for the perception of survival. Nobody wants to be last. Nobody wants to be left out. Um, there you go. Sabrina, I still think that they are conservative on social issues, but I still believe that they're left on um you know, issues regarding working class economics. Right. I definitely understand. Yeah. You know, there's a whole bunch that want to be capital, you know, that want to be, you know, like they want to be, you know, the HNIC and all that stuff with being like a business and so on and so forth. But people in the South, no matter what color they are, they don't like the banks. They don't like their boss. They get paid too little. They want more and they pay check. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it goes back to your um, working class universal argument. Um, something I forgot to mention before, uh, when you were talking about the Supreme Court striking down stuff, um, that's only because we don't have an activist Congress. You know, the Congress used to be an activist Congress um, at some point. I guess you can say during Reconstruction or whatever the case is. But anything, anything that the, I, I just don't want to put up, see, okay. Um, I just don't want to keep putting up the the false narrative or whatever you want to call it that Congress has put up by making it by tricking us into believing that once the court says something, well, it's a wrap. There's nothing I can do. And they only do that because they think that we don't. Well, maybe a lot of us don't know that anything that the uh, SCOTUS decides on, the Congress can overrule it, can, can you know, edit the law that was struck down or make a new law or somehow make it constitutional or whatever the case is. Right. But they don't want to do that because they know we can hold them accountable with elections, but we can't hold the uh, Supreme court accountable with elections. Yeah. I agree with you on that, Roger. So they just point to them. Oh, the Supreme court, there's nothing I can do. Oh, well vote for me, please. You know what I mean? So until we just like, for instance, so that was the that was that's one of the biggest cons that Congress has put on us. The other biggest con until you had Grumbine and Dr. Kaboob on is that, oh, how are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? And until those dudes came on your show and talk about, no, they just legislate new money into existence. They do it all the time. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? so that's the con that the Congress has played on us. Those two things. Oh, we can't do nothing. Um, Supreme Court. Oh, how are you going to pay for it? 
You know what I'm saying? No, mm-hmm. you pay for it. You make the money. You literally make the money <laughs> to, to, to pay for whatever it is that you want. You know, so. Well, that's that's again where, you know, that it would have been great to have that answer. In 2016? Exactly. <laughs> I know. We're learning all this stuff. You know what I'm saying? You should have been, you should have been like, hey, Dr. Kaboob, uh, how come you didn't tell us this, like, you know, during 2016? Man, what's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I wish I knew that in 2016, you know? Actually, Bernie <laughs> Bernie knew it because. Of course he knew it because he Bernie he's had Bernie's um, economic advisor was Stephanie Kelton. Stephanie yes. Kelton is one of the major figures in, in MMT theory and thinking. So Bernie very well knew it. it it's, but, you know, it's not because he, he didn't know. He, he, no, no, he definitely knew. But, but also... Copathy uh, let me just say this, really this, this, I'm, I'm gonna say this real quick. Hold on, hold on, hold on Brady. So um, even if you didn't have the Federal Reserve Bank, which was created in 1913, right? Congress would still have the money to legislate new money into existence, you know, even even, you know, because MMT is is connected to the Federal Reserve Act. So Congress still would have this. So same thing with the Treasury Secretary, you know, so they can't hide from us. We know we know the deal now. We're coming for them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Those are all good points. And Rokana also knows about this, too, because when Dr. Kaboob was on, he can't come on uh, right now, at least for a little bit, because he just took a new a new um, gig where I received an email from him saying that he wouldn't be able to make appearances for a bit um, because he just took a new job. But anyway, um, Dr. Kaboob also brought to my attention that Rokana also knew that. I, I asked him, I said, are there other politicians in D.C. that know about this, that know about Mint the Coin and other aspects of MMT? And he said, oh, absolutely. And he named their names. So my thing is, again, you never hear any of them bring it up. Yeah. Never hear them. Go ahead. The bad guys love to play stupid just the same way that the government loves to pretend it's aliens when they're doing their, you know, unmanned drone programs and whatnot. Um, and I think the gig is up. Yeah, it's good that uh, we are aware of these little details now that are coming out. Like, I just learned that from Roger and stuff. But uh, um, we know they're not stupid anymore. And, and this is being done on purpose to make themselves comfortable at our expense. And so I think the number one way to handle that situation is exactly what you did with Marianne Williams. You hold them accountable, ask them difficult questions. And she, like, like you said, you saw on the chat today, she's canceled. She's done. She's she's dead before she started, you know. So, I mean, like, did you I'm see, running did you see, that, did you see that? I did not, but I heard from you. Me? I heard from you, though. So thank you. <laughs> I didn't have to watch. <laughs> but uh, no, I just learned that from you. Uh, and I say, you know, we need good candidates. We need anyone like I'm running. My, I myself, look, I'm running on, under my own party that I just made up for president, Congress, Senate, uh, governor, and even school board. And I'm just going to take the best one that I can get, you know, if I get any of them, if I'm lucky enough. And honestly, I come from a place of privilege. I'm pretty lucky enough to have a little extra time and energy in my day to actually do stuff like this. But it doesn't take a lot of extra time and energy out of my day, you know, and I, I certainly could use some competition 
and someone else out there running with me just as a write-in candidate, you know, um, if anything, just to like talk together, bounce ideas off of. So if y'all got anyone with a little bit of extra time, you know, doing a little too much talking, say, hey, you know, why don't you run for something, you know? Um, and all they have to do is encourage a write-in. Uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm running as a write-in candidate. I mean, not a lot of people here like me, but, you know, if I was an option, as a write-in candidate when um, Joe Biden was being elected, I think I might've had a chance, you know, if people had just known that I was an, a write-in option, I think I, I might've been able to steal it from Joe Biden and Brady. Donald Trump. Brady. There was a candidate that ran, I forget the year. It was a write-in candidate, D's Nuts. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Roger? Yeah, that, yeah, that's damn, yeah, these nuts could win. You know, these nuts came close. Uh, Brady, just, oh, sorry. These nuts have got votes, you guys. I'm going to have to look that up and see how many votes the these nuts get. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Look, if these nuts can get votes, then, like, any one of us could maybe really make something real happen. You know, we just need people who, with a little bit of extra time and energy, to show up and answer some questions and fill some papers out, you know, it's, it's not impossible. And man, it'd be so nice to have just some better candidates to talk to at this point. You know, I'm so tired of even hearing, it makes me sick every time I hear Marianne Williamson's voice now, or like, you know, um, Nick Braun, I'm just like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> and uh, the libertarians have been disappointing me. You know, I, I love hate the libertarians. I have a love hate relationship with the libertarians. You know, there's a lot of things I love about them, but then they come out with a racist or sexist tweet. And I'm just like, oh, you guys just lost me again, you know, and so we, we need something better. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, because there are black libertarians like Larry Sharp. I know like myself, Nick and Rome and JB, we went on to Larry Sharp's show. Uh, he's based in New York. He ran for or he was running for governor of New York as a libertarian. So it's interesting. But I think Larry Sharp considers himself to be a left, a left libertarian, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's in AOC's oh, district. So he's just like. Hey, I have to, he was telling other libertarians, I was like, yo, I got to work with these guys, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by Democrats, so I can't be as libertarian as, as much as you might want me to be, whatever. But um, Brady, I was I, you, when you first came on, you said, I have the uncorruptible way of having a corrupted, an uncorruptible system and people down me and this and that, but you never said what it was. I was just wondering what yeah. What it was. My idea is basically a mutual aid network. And the way it works is uh, like a democratic and totally transparent mutual aid network where we all come up with mutual aid ideas that are good, like, you know, either restoring water to a city or getting or free organic food to school children, whatever it may be. And, you should get in contact, uh, in contact with uh, Moses West. Okay. Actually, I'm very, I, I would love to reach that guy. Uh, he lives in Texas. Heavily inspired. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Uh, I'm inspired, man. I will reach out to him again. And he's probably I would very love busy running around the country, going to Flint, going to Jackson. He's probably going to be going to East Palestine with a gas mask or something, whatever the case is. That is actually my personal first choice in mutual aid action is clean water for everyone. I'm, I'm going, you know, clean water, clean food, clean medicine, a clean shelter, clean environment, and then we'll start working on everything else, you know. Is and we'll the way get I'm to see going. how good those 
filters are in his um in his thing in his, his AWS atmospheric yeah. water generator. They look to be pretty legit, man. And I honestly am a big proponent of distilling your own water. Um, you can do this with a solar water distiller as well. There's a lot of interesting new techniques and ways of doing this. And I'm really interested in exploring that. But I started drinking distilled water uh, about 10 years ago. And it made me faster, sharper, feel healthier. Every time someone comes over to my house, they're like, can I have a glass of water? I give them a glass of water and they're like, oh my God, this is the best water I've ever had. And then they drink the whole gallon while they're here, you know, but it's okay. Cause I just make more, you know, and it's super cheap. So highly recommend it. So Sabrina, I, I wanted to answer, um, Dave human asked me a question a while back and he was asking me about what type of taxes was I was talking about in terms of taxing the rich, right? So there's this thing that um, a lot of the progressive state lawmakers have called Invest in Our New York Act, right? And they're talking about all of these things to, to tax, um, you know, wealth, Wall Street and all that different type of stuff, right? I don't know if the governor is going to go along with that, but um, I would tell you this, if we had if the state had the ability to tax, um, I mean, sorry, to, um, you know, to, you know, do like ballot initiatives, especially amendments, we could pass, I mean, like me personally, I was talking about taxing out of existence, you know, the, the, uh, the people who make money off of money that contribute nothing to society, society, I would tax, let me, here's a list I would tax. I would put a high tax on speculation, derivatives, capital gains, um, high frequency trading, stock buyback, stock transfer tax, right? And I want you to check this out. New York, New York is where Wall Street is. If we had that ability, we can probably be uh, put a stop to other states being affected by what Wall Street does to them, by pricing them out of their homes, by rent speculation, all of these things that's happening in downtown Manhattan, New York City, Manhattan County, okay, that, that is reverberating across the country. If we had that ability to, you know, instead of having to depend on the legislature or whatever the case is, um, if we had the ability to do these citizen ballot initiatives or amendments, okay, uh, we could probably put an end to a lot of this shit that, that is putting people in a hellhole since the federal government is not doing anything about it. You, you, you see what I'm saying? So if we, we like tax heavily, you know, like heavily uh, the people who make money off of money but don't contribute anything to society, okay, we can probably stop a lot of this shit, you know? So it's just something to think about. So I hope that answers your question, Dave. Well, I appreciate you guys big time. I'm going to pass the mic to Peter. He has a really great show on Sundays. You guys got to check Peter out. This guy's a trip and I love him to death and I love you guys. Keep it up and stay cool. Hey guys. Hey, thank you. Brady. Kind word. And uh, yeah, I hope I'm not going to say something too, depressing for you guys so sabrina thank you again to have me on and uh you 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 said everything wrong with the system so the question is are the progressives an integral part part of this system the answer apparently 
is yes. I today have heard and I heard from the other day is that oh oh we cannot do that strike because the court has said that's an illegal strike. And I heard the other day someone who is、uh, claimed to be a union organizer said similar thing. Oh, the Congress says the strike is not allowed, therefore we cannot have strikes. What happened to the civil disobedience? Because if you go back to Henry David Thoreau's essay on civil disobedience, the goal for the progressives is to have strikes, even if they are considered illegal by the government. Even if the government put in jail, you should treat the imprisonment as a liberation, right? And as a matter of fact, it's it was Henry David Thoreau who inspired Muhammad Gandhi and MLK in the civil disobedience movement, nonviolent civil disobedience movement. The progressives today do not have the courage to violate laws because they are afraid of the government. They are afraid of the big corporations, as a matter of fact. So that is one thing is I want to say is that the progressives actually is a part of the problem. Why everything is wrong with the system? Because they no longer have the courage. They are afraid. Second thing is this: I'm going to use uh, uh, Brianna Joy Gray. Very few people in this room is、uh, smarter than she is. Very few few people in this room is、uh, more progressive than she is. I'm not going to use an exact example. I don't know about that, but to, keep going. Okay, I'm going to use an example that、uh, why the progressives are fading the entire country. The student debt relief program. My understanding is this: Brianna Joy Gray personally showed up in the Department of Education in a demonstration, demanding student debt forgiveness. But here's the problem: Brianna attended the Harvard Law School, if I'm not mistaken. She should have known or should have learned that only Congress can make a law to forgive. These kind of student loans. Instead, she went along with Joe Biden's false promise before the midterm election that somehow, by some executive order, these student loans will be forgiven. As a Harvard-educated law student, I expect better from Brianna. Second, the progressive not only they know today, no, not only they do not have the courage to do the right thing. They are getting extremely selfish. Every time, Brianna and other who are demanding student loan forgiveness, they never talk about this issue. Whether the college education, specifically the community. College education should be free to all. They never talk about the younger generations, 
the high school graduate is coming up. Should they be incurring this kind of student debt for themselves? They don't, because these so-called progressive, they only care about themselves. They do not advocate. Say we need to make a law, higher education law, that make certain part of community college education completely free. By doing so, they can mobilize the parents, younger generation, say yes, free education, college education should be afforded, considering many many other government expenditures. But guess what? They will not do that. Because they are selfish, they only look after themselves. So now, as a matter of fact, as the case pending in the Supreme Court, the progressive literally made a joke about themselves, because they are selfish. They only care about their twenty thousand dollars, and they are trying to do it illegally. So that is why everything is wrong with today's system, because the progressives are failing. And that's why I, I uh, you know, I'm using Brianna Gray as an example. She has never talked about whether there should be free community college education for each state in the entire United States. I think that's a very bare minimum that we can ask. This is not Medicare for all, and you can literally use that to mobilize many, many young people, high school students, and their parents. Saying yes, learning from the past generation who incurred so many student debt, like Malcolm X said, I'm trying to read what he said. We are trapped in a vicious cycle of economic, intellectual, social, and political death. Inferior jobs, inferior housing, inferior education, which in turn again leads to inferior jobs. We spend a lifetime in this vicious cycle. Now, if you educate younger generation, say we don't want you to incur this kind of student debt. We are fighting for your future. We are demanding the government pay for community college education for each qualified young, young youngsters. That you can you can have some kind of a attraction. Then people say, oh, you are doing something very selfish, uh, 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 without uh, uh, selfishly. But instead, the so-called progressive—they are out and about, all about themselves—and that is the failure of the so system. So Peter,、mm-hmm. so so Peter, when I heard Brianna Joy speak about、um, the student debt thing, and you were saying only Congress can、um, can do that in terms of relieving student debt, I specifically heard her say many times. That that Biden is pulling a trick by using the、uh, 2001 Emergency Something Act. I forgot what it was called to relieve student debt when it was paused after 9/11. And I specifically remember her hearing her say, "Instead, he should be using the 1965 Higher Education Act passed by Congress that gives him the full authority to do so." So Congress already did that, and. I never seen her like try to trick her audience by by saying, "Oh, he can't do it" or whatever the case is. I mean, I, I heard her say that more than once. I was gonna say, I think me and her were the only ones who were saying that at that time. Yeah, we were the only ones that told people 
he shouldn't have done it through the Heroes Act. Right. Heroes That's what it's Act, Yeah, the Heroes Act was connected to the pandemic, and we were no longer in a state of emergency. In fact, me and Kim Iverson just had this conversation, and and I think I just had it on my show too. Back in 2021, Ayanna Presley, Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, all three of them created an initiative for canceling student loan debt with specific instructions that told Joe Biden to do it through the Higher Education Act of 1965. That's still online. You guys can find it, by the way. They even had a, a live stream for this. Maybe not a live stream, but a, it was a webinar. They had a webinar where you could join the webinar if you wanted to participate or at least hear that conversation. So I will yeah. say, like, me and her, I think, were the only ones who were trying to explain that to people. In fact, me and Colin got belittled for it on Twitter. We got called dipshits oh. by Figueredo from the Humanist Report because he was incorrect and we were trying to explain to him what was going to happen. Yeah, because the overall question is whether the college education should be affordable or not, especially for low-income families, right? If you take that approach, if you put a broader perspective, like, you know, I think I called the, uh, in, uh, to uh, Brianna show before, I said, back in the 60s, when Malcolm X is advocating for racial justice, he has a global perspective. He's asking for demanding liberation of black folks, not just within the United States. He's a globally. So is my question, my my question is, if uh, if the Western power would not be uh, do any reparation for the African countries they used to colonize, then why the American U.S. government should uh, uh, hand out reparation to the blacks here? Well, it wouldn't because, be for the blacks. It would be for those uh, who are descendants of. Um, Slaves. Slaves. So yeah, exactly. All, it wouldn't be all black people. Exactly. If you want the reparation for slavery, then is that should be a global one, or should be just, uh, uh, just for the well? Okay. The so let me let me explain. Mm -hmm. That was a promise made to us by um, Sherman and um, uh, Lincoln. Yes. Okay. So yes, that that for, field what, number fifty six or whatever it was yep. called. Okay. So forty acre and the a mule and the forty acre. Yeah. Is that what so, it is? So, so mm -hmm. yeah. So the thing is, is that by talking, I mean, I'm not saying I'm the expert and so on and so forth. Right. I'm just telling you what I know. OK. We are already falling behind. OK. So to wait for everyone else across the entire world to come together and, and get on board and all that different type of stuff. That's by that. By the time that happens, we're probably going to be like out of existence or we'll never catch up. You see what I'm saying? We could only yep. concentrate, you know, like, again, like this whole thing of biting off more than you can chew. You know what I mean? Deal with what's in your backyard first. You know what I'm saying? I can't control with what other countries do with, you know, with black people in other countries. I could control. Well, I have at least some level of somewhat, somehow, maybe some type of control over what happens here. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And um, yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, well, we, we definitely can agree to, to to disagree on on the reparation part. But going back to that, the uh, student debt is a perfect example. Is that when the demonstrator literally is demonstrating for themselves, not to address the issue is that co uh, the affordability of a college education and and you know just basically 
get get kids into those、uh, useless education and come up with all kinds of student debt, and they cannot even have a decent job to repay. And which is actually a debt trap, which the Western country believe the Chinese are doing to the African countries. It, it's pretty hilarious. Just find out, you know. But going back is that basically, when you're so selfish, you're not going to have a revolution. No. You- You're not going to have a movement. I just want to speak to the higher、and、education piece really quick because I worked in higher ed for over a decade, and I'm just here to tell all of you that the reason why, because if we look back on Bernie Sanders' campaign, that was one of his his policies on his platform was free public higher education. He wanted the、yep. state schools to be free,、mm-hmm. but the problem why that is not happening is because the universities are a business. They're not colleges. They're not just schools. These universities make a lot of fucking money. You guys, you'd be surprised. Okay, so I worked at MIT. I worked at BU. I worked at Harvard. I worked at Northeastern. I've worked at several schools, and they all operate in the same in the sense that they are businesses. You look at a school like Boston University, where Bob Brown, the president of the university, makes over two million dollars a year. The president at Harvard University makes over seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Like the Boston Globe publishes this information once a year. It's a part of their annual report where they report the salaries of all the presidents of the universities in Massachusetts. These schools, I've watched them for years, take in a lot of money and spend it in useless places. I've seen them spend money on having a gold, like an actual gold elevator door. I've seen them give football coaches millions of dollars. Yep, like these schools. Yep. All the money is going in the wrong places. I've seen them give deans like six figures. So the reason why they don't want to make, and this goes to the state schools too, because a lot of these state schools that are really big sports schools, like the University of Alabama, that coach makes like over a million bucks. Like the ones that bring in a lot of money for sports, they're taking in a lot of money too, and they're using it in the wrong places. They're spending money on athletic. Conditioning centers that are barely old, and they're building brand new ones. Oregon, for example, you guys know the school of the Ducks, the Oregon Ducks. Yes, they had their entire athletic, their football athletic、uh, training. Us,、uh, what do you call it? Training conditioning center. It was it was funded by fucking Nike. Nike funds the the freaking football team at Oregon. So these schools have become very profitable, and that's why. They don't want these public schools to be free. That's one reason, and the other reason is the military. If they make state colleges free again in this country, that is going to hurt military recruiting, and military recruiting is already down because that's one of the perks that you get when you join the military. That is why they don't want to forgive student loan debt. That's why they don't want to make public colleges free. Is mainly because of the military-industrial complex, and also because these schools have become a business, and they don't want to lose that money. And that's also why the schools continue to increase the tuition, even though they know the kids don't have the money to pay for these high、right. tuition costs. So they don't care because the student loan companies, which is also in bed with the banks, they just continue to give them more and more money each year, knowing yeah, these、I、kids think- are not making the money to pay it back. Yep, I used to work for a, a subprime loan company. It's student loan, but、uh, it's owned by a white guy, a black guy, and an Asian guy. 
they are most of their uh, uh, borrowers are minorities, kids just graduate from high school. Their goal is very simple. We will give you about eighteen thousand dollars high interest loans, like eighteen percent. Okay, but the goal is this: they're going to go through six months of training of driving a a semi trucks. They pass that, they can go out and find easily find a job. Or, or be assist to finding a job, of paying about forty-five thousand to fifty-five, sixty thousand dollars a year, so they can quickly pay off the loan, because these students usually、uh, have believed that going to college may not be their best choice.、Mm-hmm. They rather just go get a, a, you know, a quick loan, get this、uh, commercial driver's license test, everything done, then they can move on to just be a trucker. And、uh, so, from everything you have said, yeah, there's a lots wrong with the system, and it's the pro- the duty for the progressives and for anyone, as a matter of fact, to 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 say to call out the fraud, and say we cannot do th- do with this. Instead, unfortunately, progressives in the student debt crisis situation, they 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 do not have that broad perspective. They are being selfish. And that's why they may failed miserably, and they made a laughing stock for themselves. So I, that's one thing I believe. Everything is wrong with the system, and unfortunately, the progressive are integral part part well, of that system. They're not failing miserably in reference to their political careers. They're doing everything、sure. that they need、that's、to、sure. do to maintain、mm-hmm. support of Democratic leadership, so that they can keep their seats. So, so they're not being miserable when it when it comes to that. When it comes to their constituents, yes. But you know what the problem is? They'll still vote for them anyway because they still believe they're the best that we've got. And then it doesn't help that you have media mouthpieces that are still giving them credibility when, like, honestly, they deserve none. They deserve no credibility at this point based on the way that they have been voting, and based on the way that they have sold out their constituents. They don't deserve it. But as long as you have people who are giving them credibility and making them seem like they're doing a good job, then people will still fall for it. So, Peter, yeah. So, okay. So, you think that、um, American freedmen is being selfish for only fighting for reparations that、uh, our government is owed us, and not including like people, black people from other countries in in.、Uh, The reparations fight as well is what you're saying. Based on well, from what I have learned, because slavery is a global trade, and、okay. uh, it's not, and、uh, you know, a lot of、uh, slaves are transported, you know, to Europe to all different places, right? And、okay. so it's very difficult to say, you know, this should because as of today, but, but okay, but what I'm saying is, is that. The only people who are owed reparations are those who are descendants of American、uh, slavery. Okay. No, not necessarily, because、uh, not necessarily. When, no, because when Prince Charles, I、uh, say, Prince,、uh, not Prince Charles, uh, uh, Prince Williams, and his lovely wife visited the Barbados, they have a demonstration. Say they want reparation. No, no, you didn't hear what I. You didn't hear what I said. Wait a minute. Let me finish.、Uh, say something really quick.、Mm-hmm. I think. What Peter's trying to say is he's trying to mention all the other countries that have also been a part of the slave trade that have、exactly. been affected by it. I think the thing is, though, Peter, 
is that I remember that visit with Prince William and with um, their visit to the Bar Barbados and they were demanding reparations. I totally remember that. But the thing is, that is between Barbados and the UK. That's that's their thing. Just like if people were to say, well, what about Haiti? Then experts will probably tell you that Haiti should ask for a reparations from France. Same thing, just like when Jewish people got reparations from Germany. So, but when it comes to African Americans in the US, that's a different thing. So every country would have to ask for, so they were right, Bar Barbados, people in Barbados were correct to say that to Prince William and to Kate. And they're not the only country that has experienced this in reference to the monarchy, the British monarchy. In fact, there's a whole documentary about it that talks about all the countries that they they actually, they took resources from as well. Just the monarchy, not the country as a whole, but just the monarchy. But they are correct to ask them uh, for that. So different, different country, different things. But when it comes to the United States, we talked, we had this discussion before who should pay it, the government or the corporations. And we came to the solution that it actually should be the corporations here in the United States because they're the ones that profited off of slavery and got rich off of it. Yes, uh, I visited uh, Franklin, Tennessee, where there's a Confederate soldier cemetery and there's a lot of uh, presentations. So I'm aware of the tremendous wealth the slaves built for this country, no doubt about that. But what I want to stress is this, when Malcolm X, when Muhammad Ali, when they advocate for racial equality, they say that for the entire world. They traveled the entire world. Okay, they, but, they, but, but Peter, yeah. I, I know that speech. I, I heard it. That's not the same thing as a debt that's owed, okay? Dr. King talked about a debt that's owed to American freedmen, okay? Talking about equality is one thing. You owing me money for work that I did, that's a whole separate thing. You see what I'm Correct. saying? Yes, yes, I do. You can't conflate yes, the two. I'm not. Uh, well, I, but you but did. I do, well, no, I, I don't think I did. What I'm trying to, uh, to say is that a uh, uh, lot of uh, 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 people in America, in America always believe, because due to the propaganda by the mainstream media, that the so-called civil rights movement was successful solely because the approach that the MLK has taken. That is not the case. Byte is a, uh, is a attorney who does his uh, uh, calling shows here. The other day, you know, he taught me a lesson. He said, Peter, the Brown v. Board of Education is not decided just by looking at the facts and the law. It's also because globally at the time, all the Soviet uh, black countries uh, accusing the United States of racial oppression immediately after the Second World War. And it's because of that the U.S. Supreme Court sided with the African-Americans. Yeah, so he said, I... you not just use the, the uh, uh, limit yourself in the four corners of the case. You have to look outside. Yeah, I said, you're totally right. And, yeah, but it... Uh, it... Mm -hmm, go ahead. It wasn't just based on that alone, though. 
it wasn't just based on, I know about that, but it wasn't just based on that alone. It also was based on the fact that there was outside pressure in, exactly. in the United States. So it was a Correct. combination of the two. But to that point, there are countries right now saying that the United States is in violation of human rights or has human rights violations because of the fact that the police are killing unarmed black people. In fact, there was an entire global report and study and coalition that was formed for that specific reason. This happened right after the George Floyd protests. They came together across the globe and they said, they it's like the whole report's like over 200 pages. You can look it up on um, Google and you guys can see the report. I talked about it before on my show, but they drafted a letter to Joe Biden telling him that the United States owes a debt to African-Americans in this country and that the United States was guilty and, and complicit in human rights violations against African-Americans. And this was solely based on the police system in this country. And they went all the way back to the slave patrols. They went all the way back through the history. Did mainstream media talk about it? Nope. Did most people in independent media talk about it? No. In fact, I think I was the only one who talked about it. So I think that's a big part of the problem is that message is not getting out to as many people as possible. But, the, but to your point, there are still countries right now saying that the United States owes black people something. And you notice that the Supreme Court is not trying to make any decision to make things better for black people right now. So things were a lot different back then after World War II compared to today. Yes, what I'm trying to say is that, uh, uh, as Malcolm X said uh, perfectly, uh, just by singing and dancing alone cannot be the sole reason that civil rights was advanced. I, ha I have said in my show, as a matter of advancement of civil rights in the 60s, in part is because white bodies is being flown back from Vietnam in body bags. And the white people fear being drafted to be sent to Vietnam. And right. that's why there is a lot of a global impact to what happened domestically here. So, right. But the, but the, I want to be very clear here. It wasn't just singing and dancing. People died. People were killed. Some of those protesters died. Some of them were beaten to death. People were jailed. People had dogs sicked on them. People well, had singing the water and hoses sprayed, sprayed on them. So I want to be clear, like just singing and dancing. There were people who lost their lives because they were fighting in the civil rights movement. Well, this is exactly what Malcolm X said. You sing and dancing and you still get killed by the KKK. So the Malcolm X saying, you have to arm yourself to protect yourself. Right? Like I said the other day, there were Black Panthers back then. There's no Black Panthers today. But there no, is there a are. There flag. are. That's, that's actually not true. There are Black Panthers today. In fact, one of them spoke at the Julian Assange rally that I went to in October. There are okay. still Black, pa uh, Black Panthers they're just not as they're not as popular as they were back then and they're also there's also a new version of the black panthers called the new black panther party and they are more organized in the sense that when you say arm yourselves they 
they are doing that. They are arming themselves. So I want to just dispel that for a second. There is still Black Panthers that are around today. But a big part of the problem came in with Ronald Reagan. It was actually Ronald Reagan was the one that changed the gun laws in California once he saw that Black Panthers showed up to the, the state house. I think it was state house, the courthouse. I think it was state house with weapons. He was totally fine with the Second Amendment when it was mainly white people who carried those guns. But the moment he saw a group of black people exercising their Second Amendment right, Ronald Reagan changed the gun laws to make it that to make it more difficult for black people to have firearms. So yes, the, the reason mul- why, mul- right, the mul- reason they made a law. Yes. Right. But the reason why people are not as radical today as they were back then is because the FBI and the CIA found ways to infiltrate those organizations and to shut them down. And if that meant by killing them, they did so. So they killed Fred Hampton. They killed Malcolm X. They killed Martin Luther King Jr. They killed it just was released uh, recently that they killed JFK. So. Because of what happened to those activists, and then right after that, you go into the 80s and you have this embrace of neoliberalism. And even at that point in time, there were black people who loved Ronald Reagan, who thought that this whole idea of trickle-down economics was going to be the way forward. That revolutionary energy died. Yeah, like I said earlier this morning, during your first uh, uh, session, uh, Sabi, that I've said, there's, uh, I do not see any revolutionary energy from the left whatsoever. And I no, actually you... saw a lot more energy, uh, revolutionary energy from the Trump supporters. And as a matter of fact, because... I just read... Uh-huh. Go ahead. That's because there's a lot of gatekeepers on the left. Every time we try to organize, every time we try to, even the freaking rally, the Rage Against the War Machine rally, if you don't like that event, okay, go back two years. The Medicare for All marches that were in 50 cities all across this country. Every single event and action that has been organized by someone on the left, there have been other leftists who come in and gatekeep and try to tear the event down. That's why the left is not organized in this country. And it will continue to be that way because some people, although they may support efforts like the George Floyd protests, some of those same people do not support people fighting for economic rights, even though they consider themselves to be a leftist. So Mm -hmm. that's a part of the problem. The right is not eating the left. The left eats itself. So the right doesn't even have to come in and try to take us down because we take ourselves down. Again, thank you for taking my my call. Yeah, I just wanted to offer my two cents. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you. All right, I'm going to bring in CR and then Davis, you're going to come in after CR. What's up? I think Davis is before me if he wants to. I don't mind. Okay, Davis, he's passing the mic to you. You just have to hit unmute. Oh, it might take a minute. <clears throat> Sorry. Go, I just, wanted, PR. <laughs> just wanted to uh, make sure. His um, phone might have been grayed out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that happens sometimes on this app. Go ahead, CR. Sure. Uh, um, I, I, it, it, man, yeah, this, 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 <laughs> oof. I'm like the wrong guy almost to kind of chime in on this 
this kind of stuff right here a little bit, you know? But, uh, um, I think that, that one of the definitely things though, that still kind of gets lost and it sucks that we have to constantly repeat it is the, the kind of left and liberal confusion, you know, as the, the last caller, uh, was saying, you know, kept saying the left, the left, the left. And I feel like a lot of the times he was more generally referring to, uh, uh, liberals more so than like what we would describe ourselves as being leftist. What is that, CR? I'm sorry. I said I, I, kind of, I said I feel like the the, the the last caller when he he kept saying the left, the left, where's the left on this, where's the left of that. I said a lot of the criticisms that he was making made sense if you substituted the word left for liberal. Well, there are some people that that consider themselves to be a leftist that are doing some of those same things that that he did mention. No, but totally. I mean, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying, like for those of us in this kind of space that consider ourselves quote unquote leftists or lefties. I, I, I think it's, it, it, it's this constant frustration that we run into where it's like, they're criticizing stuff and we're like, yeah, no, we're with you. We hate the liberals too. We're to the left of the liberals, but they kind of still always lump us in the, as they say, you know, Democrats, progressives, leftists, you're all on the left. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Most of those, people you described are center or right. So I always kind of feel like we're, 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 we're always at, at a different, uh, um, we're not having like a conversation on the same level, if that makes sense. So, you know what I mean? Cause we're always trying to redefine the terms and kind of let them know like, no, no, we're not like the shit lives. Well, the, the other thing that gets me is, is this whole term progressive, you know, and they, and they talk about all oh, the progressives in Congress where they mean the squad and, and Bernie. And I think, you know, from our point of view, we need to start saying, you know, they're not progressives. No, they're not just at all. Democrats. They, they co opted, yeah. Yeah. Well, technically, technically, there's a hundred. Technically, there's a hundred uh, people that 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 caucus with the uh, the progressive caucus, right? But yeah, honestly, I think we need to start not, saying the even, number of the number yeah. is zero. You know, in Congress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. See, so, so, the words. Go ahead. See y'all, when am I gonna see y'all? When am I gonna get that ballot initiative, man, in California? I wanna help you. Dude, I I I am with it. <laughs> he put you on the spot, yeah. CR. I wanna no, help I, you. I, no, I I, I I I feel you. That's one of the things that I've definitely tried with 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 my 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 lefty friends in the area. It's like, you know, shouldn't we since we're a ballot initiative state, should we really be kind of like harping on, you know, uh, uh, ranked choice voting, at least something mm -hmm. fucking Pete's sake, since we have a pretty direct, and, and, and it's kind of funny because a lot of other uh, uh, states will kind of, they laugh at us. I've seen this before. They're like, oh, California's crazy. You can just put any old thing on the ballot and vote for it. And then poof, that's there. It's a clown state. And it's like, <laughs> no, but at the same time, like that's also the, Yes, that we do pass some stupid things like uh, uh, kicking. Although uh, Mayor Davis or Governor Davis was pretty fucking bad, and then but then we got Arnold Schwarzenegger after that. And, you know, <laughs> so yeah, we, we we yeah we've we've made some bad We've done some goofy things, uh, obviously with this power. But at the same time, I think it is it 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 is still you know a, a good thing because also as they say, so goes California, so goes the country. So 
we can set a precedent yes. you know, in the sense of doing ballot initiative uh, ballot initiative things for ranked choice voting. And I think also uh, uh, Medicare for all. I think yes. Calif- I think California Healthcare. probably, since, since we're not really going to get at the federal level, I do agree that California should be the, uh, uh, the battleground yes. for that. Uh, didn't um, they but, try? Didn't they try that though through CalCare? Well, that see, was, right now, right now, if you if you make under a, if you make under a certain amount now uh, under Medi-Cal, as it's called, you basically can get Medicare. You know what I mean? So uh, if you just you jump through all the hoops and all that kind of stuff like that, you basically. So we do have somewhat of a a net there, and I, I have taken advantage of that kind of stuff when I haven't been working before. See, and, yeah. um, well. But what happened when you propose that to your friends? What they say? Well, they're always like, "Oh, yeah, well, uh, but you know, maybe we should just think about like, oh, get this person elected." And you know, they're always like, okay. "Well, what about this? What about this Senate person?" And okay, what about so this and I'm, they always they always want to focus on this like electoral politics shit, okay. and they just so, uh, it's frustrating. Okay, so one, you need some new friends, and and stop <laughs> giving them and stop giving them your weed because it, you're you're making them lazy. Two. <laughs> I was on last week or the week before I was on, a, um, I got on a zoom with the people with all the grassroots organizations that are trying to do cow care to see what they were talking. And they was talking the same thing as your friends. And I put in the chat, um, you guys have the ability and you got this big grassroots infrastructure going on where you have the ability to run it yourself, you know, to run a, an initiative yourself. You want to sit up here and depend on politics because they weren't allowing people to like speak because it was just going to chat. You're going like the legislature already told you we are not going to pass this. Stop sending yeah. it to us. OK. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I was just like, why are you going this way? And then, you know, like and then someone put in the chat, um, started reading me the, the their um, codes of conduct on how to engage on this group or whatever the case is. <laughs> I'm like, you you motherfuckers are pussies. Look, uh, I'm like, oh, what is, no. I'm like, what? Are, I, I didn't say that, but I'm just saying. I'm, you're not, you're not wrong. I was, that's wrong. what I was thinking. I, I didn't, I didn't like tell Oh, them. the P word. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh. My bad, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Here, here's here's how you save yourself. Here's how you save yourself, Roger. You were talking about pussy cats. Yes, exactly. Yes. The word's pussy still cat. there. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Sorry, sorry, Seb. You should, uh, sorry, I, you should I call just try to say. I just try to say. <laughs> you should call them scrotums. Pussies, <laughs> pussies are strong. Pussies are powerful. They push out babies. You yes, know, scrotums. Do. Scrotums. You tap them, and the guy's crying. So call them They're scrotums. Way more. Way okay. more elastic than my anus. Sure. What is happening here? So my, sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Sammy. But <laughs> I was, we've gone I, was after just, I was just saying, like, you know, like, what is wrong with these people? I was because I said you guys are going to be here next year and the year after with that guy. What's his name? A cob, uh, the the that lawmaker. I can't pronounce his name. It's the Indian name. And, you know, like, oh man, I'm sorry. Oh man, I really was with you. You know, like he, he gave this big sob speech when he didn't pass CalCare. And I was like, like, you guys are insane. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. I was yeah. like you, you, you have this infrastructure. So I'm like, yo, someone else needs to do this because if they do it, then they're going to jump on. 
You know what and I mean? And they had and they had the votes for Calcare too. They had all the votes. Yeah, man. yeah. It was just just frustrating. You know, corruption. Man. They were paid not to do. It. This, this, yeah, kind of, this also. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Davis. Yeah, um, I was just gonna talk about uh, reparations a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I'm not really opposed ideologically to reparations, obviously. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, the, the case is clear to me. The case is clear to me. Now, this is why I always focus on strategy. And back to the topic of the discussion, which is the system. Um, if you get paid reparations, for example, you know, you're, you're, you're plowing it back into this system. And... Um, I'm not sure how that is beneficial, right? Because you're still going to end up uh, back in the same position because society is going to, these capitalists are going to adjust. Like, they're not going to just give you trillions of dollars, which you deserve, right? Like, no, no, no. It's not what we deserve. It's what we're owed. But keep going. Yeah. So my question is, if you, this is how I see. If you don't have leverage, and and African Americans don't have a lot of political power in America. I mean, for me, political power is is the, I describe it as the thing that enables access to resources. So if you want to know who doesn't have political power, go see where they live. Look at their condition, and if you find that they don't have resources, it's because resources aren't coming back to them because they don't have you know, a representative that actually has the power to move those resources back to them. So no, if you're African-American and you don't have political power, how are you, I mean, you need leverage in this system. We're talking about a system, a capitalist, imperialist, racist system, and you have African-Americans who have minimal political power, limited political power. How are you going to, uh, what leverage, What I'm talking strategy here, not the principle of reparations. Um, the electoral strategy is not going to work. Like, it's literally not going to work um, for the same reason that uh, Charles refused to apologize for reparation, for slavery, because once you do that, once you make an apology, that's an actually legal category that opens you up to being sued. And that is why the U.S. federal government has never issued a formal apology for slavery, because that opens up, uh, you know, legal. We, that means you can sue because that's an admission of, 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 of guilt. guilt. So it, now the system is not going to do that. It's just not going to do it. I mean, the system is controlled by white men, just like it was in the beginning, propertied white men. They're not going to take a huge chunk of their earnings, which they consider to be hard earned and whatever through hard work. And I mean, it's all bullshit, but that's what they think. Not what matters is what they think, not what we think, because we're trying to extract this from them. So if you don't have leverage, how I mean, if if rep, if you guys say we need reparations, and they say no, what are you going to do about it? So, like 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 I was saying before, um, that I already like agree with having to change the system to go to one that's more um, democratic in the workplace and getting rid of corporations and all that stuff. I think that's more of a question that you should pose to the single issue of voters of the community that are just like, boom, you know what I'm saying? Like reparations, that's it. You know, uh, some, I pose that to maybe um, 
what's his name? Greg Marcel Dixon, uh, you know, uh, Riza Islam or whoever the case is. I agree with you. You need to change the system so that we don't end up in the same place as we were before. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, no, I hear you. I was just telling Sabrina before that I'm very jealous of single issue voters because it, it, it makes me so easy just to be for one thing, whether the, it's the reparationists or the Second Amendment people or for abortion or pro-choice, anti-choice, uh, what, pro-choice, pro-life, whatever the case is. So no, I understand that. I, I already am there with you. We got to change the system to make sure we don't end up in the exact same place as uh, before. You see what I'm saying? Well, the, 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 system is, the system is what perpetuated those things. So how can you possibly expect to change it when the system created those yeah, no, I was, well, that's why I was talking about the, the whole thing of, you know, uh, I'm, I'm using my new word that I, that I just discovered, judicial disillusion, as well as worker cooperatives and, and things to change and public banks to change over from that capitalist system to a more uh, social right. system. I, I, okay, I got yeah. a quick question for you, Sabi and Roger, as, as uh, you know, you are descendants of enslaved Africans. Uh, my, my question to you specifically is, is, would you what what if i told you that socialism is better than reparations because that, that involves um changing the system which everybody will take part in and you have more people more power and more leverage right if you include reparations uh in, in your you know push for socialism then you get both things right and, and the thing about socialism or you know uh ownership of the means of production is that you keep your gains, you keep them, because the system is different, and so your gains actually mean something. Your gains have teeth, right? You can build generational wealth because you know your labor value is being paid to what it should be, as opposed to now where African American workers, particularly African American black women workers, get shafted to the extreme in terms of you know, getting paid fairly. I mean, I was reading a New York Times article today about how black and Latino contractors, you can go look it up, have a hard time getting, you know, breaking into the business, right? And the only, one of the biggest reasons they do is because they don't have connections to the good old boy club, right? The good old white boy club. So if you, I mean, it, it, say you get reparations and you want to become a contractor, you still need to get a foot in the door. And those people that just paid reparations are going to be resentful as fuck. I mean, there are still people that are mad that the Civil War was lost on the side of, you know, yeah. freeing slaves. Like, there's still people pissed about that today in 2023. That's right? very true. That's very so, true. So I, I just don't understand how, like, it, 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 see, the thing is, like, if you include socialism, which is a total system overhaul, right, then you build solidarity with others, right, because you're also fighting for them. Um, but the thing is, America is so propagandized and you all are so divided and public opinion is, is already negative towards black Americans a lot of Americans just don't feel that, you know, they had anything to do with it and they shouldn't have to pay a single cent. But they're so, not going to pay a single cent because right. uh, the government legislates new money into existence. And the money would wouldn't argument. come from the money wouldn't come from the taxpayers, period. 
and and, okay. and also if you uh-huh. look at the state the state level in reference to reparations california will probably based on what i've seen so far california might be the first to get it because okay, california's it, it, reparations task force i did interview them mm-hmm. they have like a whole outline and even in like san francisco california they just announced recently that they actually think that black people in san francisco california should get five million dollars okay okay well that's great this is also the same california that you just talked about that couldn't even pay single fucking pay like these motherfuckers are no we never said they couldn't pay it Uh we said big money interest came in and they decided not to vote on it but they had the votes they had the votes so okay. so it's not that they couldn't pay it they could pay uh-huh. for it but reparations wouldn't come from taxpayer money okay where, where would it come from some sort of fund trust or because so, my understanding yes. was that you know the argument of why should i have to pay it is moot well i was just channeling those arguments i don't believe in those arguments um, right, right. but i'm right. trying to th- i'm trying to be your opponent so that you know you know what i'm no, saying no, no, I t- t- well i told you yeah, I told so you. So, so, uh-huh. so, so when you were saying about the yeah, socialism, it, it was mm-hmm. better than mm-hmm. reparations or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. One, mm-hmm. Um, that's way too much of a hypothetical. And two, this is a mm-hmm. debt that's owed. Okay? It, it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's not about whether which one is better for us. It's about, mm-hmm. yo, you owe me money. That's all good that we got all that. But, but, it's, but here's another thing. It's not just mm-hmm. about money. It's mm-hmm. also about it's also about land. It's also about um, um, the free bringing back the Freedmen's Bureau Bank. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with that? Are you familiar yes, with the Freedmen's yes. Bureau Bank? Yes. Right. So it's about bringing that back because you were talking about um, something getting a contract and the bank denying us or whatever the mm-hmm. case is. We mm-hmm. would have our own bank again, the Freedmen Bank, backed mm-hmm. up by a public bank that's universal for everyone. And, mm-hmm. I, and my thing is to have. When I talk about public banks, I'm talking about at every level of government, municipal, mm-hmm. um, municipal, uh, state, regional, because every state has different regions. Like mm-hmm. New York State has 10 economic regions, North Country, the Long Island, New York City, and Mohawk Valley, all that stuff, right? And mm-hmm. as a public bank at state level, as well as a national infrastructure, oh, and a U.S. regional, public bank for the five different U.S. regions in the country and eventually a national infrastructure bank. I, you know, so that's my my dream to have a network of all these public banks working together, pretty much replacing, you know, what the Federal Reserve does, which is owned by Wall Street, not us. You see what so I'm saying? Socialism then. Yes. Yeah, so like, yeah, like, I, like, again, like, <laughs> I don't really like get into the words, but sure, socialism. You know what I mean, but yeah, I don't get that into into the into the into the into the words because then it becomes like, oh, we're talking about this over here instead of having honest conversations about what works. Okay, so reconcile all that you just said, um, and 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 you said socialism is a big hypothetical. Well, everything that you just you detailed a lot of institutional changes. With um, again, I agree with them, but that is a huge institutional change, right? Um, I remember when um, from the bottom up, from the yeah, bottom up, when, when George Bush, um, after you know nine eleven, you know missed a big 
you know, big, gov big government is bad, George Bush, conservative Republican George Bush. After 9-11, he expanded the federal government by 40%, right? And, and he did that by forming DHS, Department of Homeland Security, which didn't exist before. So that was a huge addition to the size of the federal government. And all the, you know, big, bad government conservatives, didn't, they shut the fuck up. They didn't say anything about that. You didn't hear anybody crying about big government when Bush was adding the federal government by 40%. Because Americans broadly conceived that addition as in the best interest of all Americans, right? That's why it was easy to make that kind of huge institutional changes uh, by a conservative Republican, nonetheless, people who say they hate government were willing to go against one of their core principles because they perceived it to benefit them. So they made this huge institutional change in American uh, governance. And, and the last time that the change was that big was what was when, uh, was it FDR who introduced which was a whole new entitlement? Um, I could be wrong about that. the public, right? So uh, my issue is Americans are so fragmented and so divided, working class Americans, like even defund the police couldn't fucking catch legs, man. That shit pissed me off. And I'm like, these what? are the same people who marched and did all that stuff and said there was a, they had solidarity with us and all that stuff. But when Biden completely threw that under the bus, nobody really kind of stood up for us, I feel. Well... Let me just say something really quick. Um, the FDR mm -hmm. reference, FDR mm -hmm. did those things to save capitalism, not to save the American people. And mm -hmm. he only did it because he was pressured from people and he was pressured from actually some communist groups on the mm -hmm. outside. That's mm -hmm. the only reason that happened. Two, in reference to defunding the police, the mm -hmm. problem with that whole movement was that Black Lives Matter, number one, was co-opted. Mm. It was co-opted by corporations and it was co-opted by the Democratic Party. Right. The FBI also. Yeah. Three, the other problem is some people saw police brutality as an issue under Trump's presidency. And the moment that Trump lost and Joe Biden won, most of and Chuck Modi can attest to this because he covered a lot of this, these protests in DC. Most of the protesters went home as if the problem was now solved because we had a Democrat mm -hmm. that won the election. So the majority, mm -hmm. that's the thing, the majority of the American people that were out there, even for that, that protest. And that was, I think, I think they say this, it was larger than a civil rights movement protest now at this point, but all those people mm -hmm. came out, but they totally missed the point. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the problem. And, and I totally get what you're saying. Like people just totally bailed on defund the police. And that's because the Democratic Party had mm -hmm. convinced numerous people through mainstream media that this is not the way to go. And this is going to cause mm -hmm. Democrats to lose elections. And that was the end that you heard about defunding the police. Cori Bush, who was a champion for it, her office was told they couldn't even talk about it anymore. Wow. Yeah. I, if, I, if I could jump in. I here, didn't I, know that. I, um... I, I see I see a parallel across many of these different things here lately. Um, the 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 chemical disaster in East Palestine right now, where is the environmental movement? All the people that spend so much time on global warming and all that kind of stuff like that, you should ostensibly be also concerned about other environmental disasters. And this is one of the biggest disasters. Where where the fuck are you? 
where are you guys on Jackson, Mississippi? Where are you guys all still on Flint, Michigan? You know what I mean? We're supposed to have this big environmental uh, movement here because I hear about it all the time harping about climate change, but yet we have all these other huge, where, where, where the fuck are they? Right. We have all these different people that are worried about human rights, right? Uh, they're worried about Israel has the right to defend itself. What about the people in Yemen? What, what, what about the, what about the Palestinians? What, you know, do they not have a right to defend themselves? Nobody, nothing for them. You know what I mean? So all these people that care, that say they care about humanitarian rights and war zones, you don't hear them saying shit about the Yemenis children. You don't hear them saying shit about the Palestinian children. You don't hear anything about the environmentalists saying anything about the, the, the stuff that's going on in, in, in uh, East Ohio, uh, East Palestine, Ohio right now. So uh, to me, I'm noticing this across the board. What, any of these different types of talk, topics we're talking about with the political division here is I see a lack of heart, of, of, of empathy and sympathy and an ability to, to, to see your fellow, whether it's your countrymen or, or, or fellow human. As, a, as an actual human fucking being, because this is pervasive. All these different things that we've been talking about tonight, if you notice this one thing that's always missing when we talk about the opposition to these things, it, it is the total lack of empathy for the other person's humanity. And and and, and then and then we, we, we experience this so much from all the forces that are against us that we cannot help but turn around and have that same lack of empathy for even our enemies but in a, in a weird, stupid, hippie, dippy sort of sense of way, we have to still have that, and we don't. You know what I mean? So we we, we, we point fingers at, at all the apathy and the lack of action of all of our fellow people on, on all these different types of things that, that, that really should matter. You know what I mean? When we talk about re reparations, what's at the heart of that? Wage theft, which is the, the fundamental problem with, with the capitalist system, right? So you can... When, when you want to talk about reparations, you can also connect with any worker, any worker in the world. You connect with them because you can make them understand how just like your 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 wages were completely stolen, their wages are also being stolen by a capitalist system that's crushing them. But we don't have that empathy to see each other as the same, you know, to see us as our struggle is being equal. And we allow the system to keep us being so divided. I just, I, I feel like love, and I know it sounds stupid and it sounds, you know, like I'm just like a fucking stoner, but really, I feel like, am I wrong to say that we're missing love for each other, empathy for each other as fucking human beings, man? Also, uh, Sabrina. Yep. So, um, I, I want to make sure that you don't, um, like, forget this because um, you sounded depressed. Uh, when you talk about the George Floyd um, things, right? I want everyone to understand there were laws that were passed. It just nothing passed federally, but there yeah, were. Yeah, I did explain that to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were a number of states and and little localities. You know, like um, citizens also drove changes through the ballot box with at least eighteen ballot initiatives, strengthening law enforcement oversight nationwide including in localities like Kyle, Texas and Columbus, Ohio. I'm going to put these two links in the chat. Did anybody hear anything that I just said at all? Yeah, I was going to say, CR, uh, to, to your point, um, I know 
Um, I, I, you know, agree with with what you're saying. You know, we need we need that love and, and that empathy, and and part of the whole system. You know, this capitalist system, this, this raw political system, is, is just designed to to burn that away from us and to and to turn us, you know, against each other. And so it is one of the real the real challenges of um, of how do we not you know give into that? And, and of course, it's divide and conquer. And one of the ways that, that I like to to think of it or, or to try to do it is is to is to try as best we can to have you know openness and empathy and, and outright love for for our comrades, you know, for for anyone in the space that who's acting in good faith, and save. The, the the anger and the and the bile and the and the frustration and and the and the and all that for the powerful for the billionaire class for these um, for these monsters in Congress who act like they they represent us so I, I feel like that's the best kind of response that we can try for. Yeah, I'm going to bring in um, case study and then I'm actually I have a couple minutes and then I got to head out. So case what's much love to you. Much love to the chat. How's everybody doing? Sorry, I haven't been around lately. I've just been super focused on trying to get this uh, site. I, I plan to have it, the first iteration of it done by the end of February, and now I'm in overtime. So I'm trying to really knock this thing out. So that's why you haven't seen me a lot recently. I also want to let the chat know that Savvy Sab is doing me the honor of coming on my channel tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, so I'm looking forward to having her. And also I have big news. I'm going to show a sneak peek of the web app. You're going to see where all my hard work has been going into um, the mutual aid party dot org. Uh, I'm going to be able to show you all the back end, what I've been doing so far. You, you're going to be able to create a, or I'm going to show you how to create a ticket, how to um, get people to be able to accept a ticket to, to help you with whatever your ticket is how to create a team and we're going to go through some of the motions. All the features aren't done yet, but, um, and, and just to mention on the topic of this chat with the system, I love what Eric said, you know, you feel like we don't have love for each other. I, I think that we do have love for each other. Um, but this capitalistic system stamps it out of us and it, it truly, um, brings out the, you know, that, like almost like you're living in um, Walking Dead and you know how you got to be wary of every single person you meet. You got to be wary if they're going to kill you first or you got to kill them first. It's like we're living in that uh, a version of that right now with this capitalistic system. And I believe that we need to create a system that even bad people, even psychopaths have to conform to being good because right now the system is good people go into electoral politics and they go in with good intentions and they slowly get corrupted. They slowly go against their own principles. They slowly go against their, their own friends. Like Kristen Sinema was a green party person. And then her, her, all her friends were saying, once she got into the Senate, they, she stopped talking to them and she's talking to all the lobbyists. So I'm not saying that I don't know her heart. So I don't know if she was good from the beginning or if it was a ploy from the very beginning, but this system turns good people, good willing people into very bad. And you have to really be a great person in principle um, to, to be able to overcome that. Thank you so much. I know you're wrapping up, Sabi. Um, have a good one. Case, that yeah. is exactly what happened to Hakeem Jeffries. Exactly. I, I was thinking about him when you 
when I was talking too, because you sent me all that information recently. Go that ahead. That's bad though, dude. No, he's so bad now. How can you possibly say he went in with good intentions? Hold up. He's, Hold up. he's one of the worst, dude. He's he's worse than he's worse than Nancy Pelosi. He's legit worse than Nancy Pelosi. You cannot. He's he, AOC. You could say went in with good intentions and maybe got corrupted, but Hakeem Jeffrey. Cr. Cr. So love you. Last, so so last week, um, I was my cousin was visiting me. Okay, um, he he lives in California now. Okay. And um, Sabrina was doing a thing on Hakeem Jeffries or whatever. And he told me, oh, I, I, um, oh, by the way, I got him to subscribe to your show, Sabrina. Um, plus a couple of customers as oh, well. Oh, wow. So he was just like, oh, wow, I like what she's talking. She's talking some real shit. I was like, yeah, yeah, you should check her out, subscribe. So, um, you know, my cousin told me, he said, yeah, I know Hakeem Jeffries. We, you know, we used to talk. I was like, how you know him? He said, I know his uncle, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. I was like, wait a minute. Dr. <laughs> Leonard Jeffries is Hakeem's uncle? He's like, yeah, um, I was good friends with his uncle. I, you know, I used to be cool with Hakeem also until uh, once he started running for Congress. Because he said he wasn't just his uncle. Um, he was his mentor. Okay? So if you know who Dr. Leonard Jeffries was, okay, um, he was like the, he was like the, uh, he, like during, okay, in, like in the late 80s, early 90s, right? In the black community was going, we was going through this whole pan-Africanist, Afrocentric, Marcus Garvey type of back to Africa, rediscovering our roots moment or whatever the case is. It was like right before gangster rap came in, okay? So there was, there, so Dr. Leonard Jeffries came in at that particular time. So he used to talk. He was he was part of the um, City College of New York uh, 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 Black Studies program, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So he caught a lot of heat because he said that um, he was very specific, okay, because he was giving a speech in Albany, which is um, our version of Sacramento in New York. And he was talking about that all of the people who were involved in the slave trade, and he was saying um, Jews was as well, but not all Jews, because he knows that it was mostly uh, rich Jewish people or whatever the case. So you know where that went like since then. All his words got taken out of context and so on and so forth. They tried to fire him, but it's like, yo, you violated my First Amendment rights because I work for a government college, which is the City University of New York, right? Whatever the case was. But he was very controversial, and he was very like, you know, like I said, very like, uh, uh, what what is it? Um, Mark uh, Marcus, who's the other Kwame Torre type of type of person, like deep into the African studies or whatever. So I said, oh, so Sam, Sammy's my cousin. Oh, so Sammy, so what you're saying is Hakeem Jeffries knows better than if that was his mentor. He said, yeah, he know better. He's just bullshitting now. <laughs> and then when when Sabrina was going through one by one about, oh, this is what Hakeem Jeffries said, and he's just like, yeah, he bullshitting. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he do That's know. Gross. Almost he, worse. Well, there you go. He he does know. Okay, wow. but he said, "Yo, ever since he went into Congress, that bond between him is and, and his uncle was just wasn't there anymore." You know what I'm saying? He said, "I don't fuck with him because he's full of shit." <laughs> tear the tear the system down, man. Because that's all it can do. It only eats good people, no matter what. You know what I mean? Like you say, if you send some good soldiers in there, they're just going to come out corrupt. So. Anyways, hey. um, 
Love, love everybody. Love your neighbor. I didn't mean to depress you. Get about get about initiative and some new friends. Yeah. Right, no, no, let's, no, no depression. We love you guys. I love you guys all. Let's end on a better note there. Um, <laughs> thank you guys so much for tuning in with me twice <laughs> today. Um, but yeah, I'm going to head out. Um, I have a, a pretty busy, 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 busy day tomorrow. But um, yeah, check me out. I'll be with Case tomorrow night, actually. Um, Case, I'm coming on at 8, right? 7.45? Oh, 7.45 only because um, to do the tech, make sure the tech, everyone's good on the same page, and then we go live at 8. Okay, cool. Case, thank you for telling us this, because she would have never told us that. <laughs> with the, aren't I bad with telling people and the only reason someone show? The only reason why he's here is because I told him that your show is on now. And I got to give Roger credit. Yes, he DM'd me, and I, I, I was watching the Knicks Celtics game. I said, like, Sir, Sabrina was doing a call during the Celtics game. But, um, yeah, yeah, he, he told me, yep. Well, say, thank, say thank you, y'all. <laughs> Sabrina would have never said anything. Yeah, I'm really bad with that. I got to get better with that. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> Much love. It's all good. It's all good. Much love. <laughs> all right, guys, I'm going to head out. Thanks so much for tuning in and, uh, I'll be on case show tomorrow night and then I'll be back live, uh, Tuesday night. All right. See ya. See ya. On, on Tuesday, you said.